Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Here I think Brendan King is the easiest way to summarize this. Imagine yesterday at Christmas, which, by the way, it admittedly, it was it it was weird having Christmas where it was, and don't get me wrong, I, I don't like cold weather at all. So I'm not necessarily complaining, but it was kind of hard to totally get into Christmas when it was like 60 degrees outside, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was in Chicago, and my mom went to my grandpa's house in sandals. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, it, it was weird, right? Yeah. But imagine if... Imagine if everybody opened up, let me rephrase that. You got the Christmas gifts under the tree, okay? And everything that you needed to give to people that you needed to have done for everybody else. So the the shopping that you did, you knew that your dad wanted this, your sister wanted that, your your girlfriend wanted this. All of that was taken care of. You didn't even have to go out of the house. All of that was taken care of for you. You're like, perfect, perfect. And then because everything else was done for you, you decided to shop for yourself and buy yourself a gift and wrap it up for yourself so that on Christmas Day you could open it and you were guaranteed to have one thing that you wanted, And but your wrapping sucks so bad that you couldn't get it open and then it like completely fell apart on you. That's basically what happened to the Colts. Yeah. Everything that they needed everyone else to do was taken care of. Literally. They needed every literally everything else that they needed to have done happened for them. Except for well, I, I guess maybe you could make the Pittsburgh Cincinnati game was kind of a draw. I guess you could say that realistically you needed what did you need in that? Which was the best case scenario there? I guess maybe for Pittsburgh to just be wiped away and eliminated, probably, and they instead hung around. But, but either way, they go down to Atlanta, which was not. You kind of had a feeling that maybe was going to happen, especially and, when we all picked them, every single one yeah, of us. Well, here's the thing: to be fair to all of us, and I'm not saying it would have made a difference. I'm not saying it would have made a difference. But I think it's pretty clear, and and let me tell you from my standpoint, like I have a, I have a concern about Michael Pittman Jr. Same. Because when we were all, and I know people, I don't know how many people see like the predictions that are sent out by the station of all of us, especially on Christmas Eve, but we all picked for the Colts to beat Atlanta. But that was when they were loading up the airplane, and Michael Pittman Jr. was set to play, which is a big difference. And then, obviously, through the course of, and I'm assuming what happened, I'm about to sneeze, by the way. Bless you in advance. Thank you. I'm assuming what happened is that Michael Pittman Jr. had obviously suffered a concussion, was in the protocol, was clear to the protocol, and then, and, and I, listen, I'm not a neurologist, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. It does seem a little bit, in hindsight, I'll say that to be fair, in hindsight it seems a little bit odd that they would put someone on an airplane that close to having had concussion-like symptoms. 
that's pretty unusual. I mean, usually if you have something like that, you're encouraged not to fly. Not just encouraged, sometimes you're forced. Right, right, right. So, but what, and I get that they may have just said concussion, but if you look at, and I'll have to go back and find the exact wording, but when I saw the exact wording, and maybe, maybe this is what they say for every concussion. I, I don't know. Maybe this is what, maybe it's just the wording they use for every concussion or concussion-like symptom that takes place in the NFL. It says an independent neurologist cleared Pittman. And that's when they say independent, that means it's always somebody that's not affiliated with the team so that you know you're getting an objective answer. Then after flying with the team to Atlanta, he developed new symptoms. The new symptoms put him back in a concussion protocol, and he was ruled out. It says Pittman suffered injuries to his brain. I realize that, and I'm not a doctor nor a neurologist, but I realize that a concussion is exactly that. A concussion is a collision, I believe, between the brain and the skull itself that can cause like a bruising of the brain. And I get it. People out there are going to yell at me and tell me I'm soft and tell me I've never been a man. I've never been in a locker room. That's cool. I get it. I will tell you that when I was a kid, I had juvenile epilepsy, and I think it was because of a hit I took to the head playing football for what that's worth. But, but again, not not even close to the same thing. I get it. I would be, if I'm a player, and I'm this is not going to be the case with Michael Pittman Jr., understandably so. That's the first time that I have seen Brendan and Eddie, and maybe it's just, again, maybe it's because I wasn't paying that specific or close an attention before. Maybe it's because they've now changed the terminology to show a greater awareness and a greater um, sensitivity towards the subject. That's the first time that I've seen a concussion-like injury listed as a brain injury. I've never heard brain injury before, have you? No, I haven't. And Jake, again, I cannot relate to anything that happened with Pittman. When you look at the severity of the hit from Casey, it was dirty. He should be suspended for the rest of the year. And sports has no business for any hit like that in any sport. But I've had one in my life. I had a single one growing up in high school, uh, shortly before I stopped playing hockey. And it was awful. It was terrible. Now, I didn't take a hit like from Casey, but it was enough to where... If I was in if I was in this studio and these lights were shining down on us, I would have to go sit in the closet. And it wasn't fun. So what that tells me, it concerns me even more because when I finished mine and the treatment ended, I, I was good to go. I've never had a problem since, probably because I stopped playing hockey. But I've never had it where the symptoms popped up again when you were already cleared. And Jake, that's a slippery slope. I don't disagree. Because and we're not doctors, I, admittedly, but I don't disagree, right? It, it, you don't have to get hit in the head again for that to cause issues. If it is a lingering concussion problem, and again, like you said, I have a degree in sports media, the farthest thing from neurology. But I can say from experience, it, you don't have to take a hit to the head for that to be an issue. If your head is whipped back or whiplash style, that could cause concerns too. So, I, Jake, I'm with you, and that is super, super concerning for a Colts fan. 
It says right here, I never saw it coming. I was diving and I caught it and then I woke up and there's people looking down at me. Exactly. I was like, oh, blank, what just happened? Uh, this from Josh. The Indy Star and other media, they always call it brain injury. See it all the time. I, I Okay, again, I, I've seen concussion. I've seen concussion protocol, concussion symptoms. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but this one just felt different. That's all I'm saying. But either way, whatever it was, it was significant enough that an airplane ride reawakened it. And so Michael Pittman Jr. did not play in the game. Truth be told, now, would I have said that the Colts were going to win the or lose the game? Maybe not, but I probably would have thought it was going to be a closer game if I knew that Pittman Jr. was not going to be in there. Because sure. that, that absolutely... I made the point, Brendan, during the game that this year the Colts had three guys going into the season. They had three players that you knew were marquee guys on free agent years or expiring contracts. Jonathan Taylor, Grover Stewart, Michael Pittman Jr. Jonathan Taylor held out and as a result got exactly the money he wanted. Grover Stewart got suspended. And that suspension is probably going to make him more money. Yeah. Because the four games he was out, you you saw what happens when he's not there. And I think it showed that they need him. And Michael Pittman Jr., by the game that he missed, is probably going to make him a lot of money. But the real thing now becomes, and Merry Christmas to you. Hope you had a wonderful day yesterday. My name is Jake Quarry. Jimmy Cook off today. Brendan King is in. Eddie Garrison here as well. Lot to talk about, including this Colts game in Atlanta. That admittedly kind of feels like a week ago, right? Because a lot's happened since then away from sports. Certainly hope all of you had a wonderful Christmas, had a great holiday with your family, your friends, whatever it might be, or just relaxation. Uh, Pacers back in action tonight, taking on the Houston Rockets, and Indiana back in action on the 29th against Kennesaw State. So Don Fisher will join us at 1.30 today to talk about that. Kennesaw State, not necessarily like a slouch opponent. I know that like, you know, you you look at them and you go, well, I mean, that that should be a game they get. But And they they got blown off the floor by Florida State earlier this year, but they're actually playing pretty well. And for Indiana, maybe it's just a chance to kind of set things, get everything in motion heading into once you get into the full. I, I'm still thrown up, Brendan, by like play a Big Ten game, go out of conference, yeah, play a right. Big Ten game, go out of conference, right? It, it is weird. But, yeah, I, th- I thought, I mean, they kind of put to bed the concerns about Moorhead State in that North Alabama game. I mean, they handled them pretty good. But, yeah, Kennesaw is similar to a Moorhead State, Jake, where, you know, I the last hoops game I did, I did Indiana State, Tennessee State, and Tennessee State in the Ohio Valley, they were picked second right behind Moorhead. Uh, so Moorhead's a good ball club. Um, and, you know, kind of similar to Kennesaw where uh, they're not in the Ohio Valley, but still – they are a top team from their conference, and even though it's a mid-major, it's something you got to be ready for. Uh, same for Purdue, by the way. In action on Friday, they will be taking on Eastern Kentucky, getting things all, getting kind of their table set before they get into Big Ten play coming up on January the 2nd. Uh, how was your holiday, Brennan? It was fantastic. Got to be with the family. Parents came back up from Florida. Dad's doing well. Uh, actually, I did have a question for you. So even, even when I don't work on the show with you, I am a loyal listener after all. Um, as the director of Sunshine for the company, uh, recently named. That's right. So uh, Santa Jake, was was that a thing where you report to the big guy as like a regional manager? Correct, yeah. yeah. I've got a hotline. Yeah, I, I figured so. Yeah. I. How, how was your night at Santa Jake? I mean, you look pretty, there's no bags <laughs> under your eyes. You know, you look okay. Well, 
several people wanted me as Santa Jake. That was where people were calling in to deliver the wish list of what their team needed to put them over the top. Clearly, if you're going by the performance, and here's the problem. (laughs) I have made no bones about the fact that I love the city of Chattanooga. (laughs) I like the Chattanooga choo-choo. I like the the incline. I like the aquarium. I like the baseball stadium there. What's that? They're double A for the Reds, the lookouts. Right. I saw the lookouts play the Huntsville Trash Pandas, even though Eddie didn't know where Huntsville Rocket is. Rocket City um, Trash Pandas. That's right, Rocket yeah. City. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah see? I, I, that, that's my trade. I can name any minor league baseball team if you give me the city. Which so. Who's the Biscuits? Montgomery. That's also Alabama, right? Correct. So, so I like Chattanooga, but the problem in Rock City and Ruby Falls— the problem is, as Santa Jake, when I was trying to deliver for the Colts in Atlanta, I got hung up in Chattanooga. Nah. And and so I didn't make it into Atlanta to be able to deliver the goods that people wanted, and therefore it showed, right? Well, you would have gotten stuck in Atlanta traffic anyway. True. That, that is in true. itself or is... Or at the varsity. Yeah. Now, so, but the other, everything that the Colts, for the most part, needed to take place took place. So it, the the stub of the toe was softened a little bit. Basically what happened was... Everything got delayed a week for the Colts. That's basically what happened. Um, But let me tell you what happened. So on Christmas Eve, as we do every year, we went to Newfield's Lights. And I do enjoy it greatly. Newfield's, I know, has had their problems of late. Um, I'm curious, though, if anybody else noticed this. If anybody's listening, I think most people have my cell phone number by now. I'm curious if anybody else noticed this that has been to Newfield Lights numerous years. It's beautiful. They do a great job with it. It's cool. But it seemed way shorter this year. Like the lights in front of the house were there, and then you go around, kind of around the the side. But it seemed that it went, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. But they used to have like a big tree christmas tree that was made of like different toys that was lit up in multiple colors it was really cool they had like a much larger like scouting area where you could do s'mores they still had that but it was smaller but it just felt like the little tour of the grounds itself was in a smaller area and they really punted on the house like you went into the house and they had um nutcrackers lined up inside the house but like usually, if you go to like I was at the Paps Mansion in Milwaukee, I've done the Biltmore in in North Carolina, and past years of the Lily Mansion. Like every room is completely decked out in Christmas, you know, theme. Multiple like beautiful Christmas trees with old fashioned presents stacked, and it shows you what it would have looked like on Christmas morning, you know, in 1920. In all honesty, like, I mean, there were like a couple candles and it was like, okay, cool, thanks. And literally you went through like three rooms and that was it. But it just felt much shorter. But it's still magical. It's still cool. But I'm curious if anybody else thought the same thing. Like, wait a minute. This just seems like an abbreviated version of years past. But there's an area where you get your photo taken. Yeah, I think it says like under the mistletoe or whatever. And... One of my favorite customs or traditions or just like camaraderie feelings amongst other people on Christmas is when you're at Newfield Lights and you line up for your to get your picture taken underneath the little gazebo thing. And of course, like anybody, you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm, somebody else has to take this photo, right? So it's just kind of an understood amongst people that you turn to the people behind you and you go, do you mind taking our picture? And then, of course, naturally, it's like, hey, we'll stay and take your, you know. 
well, yeah, we'll be happy to take yours as well, or you'd take somebody else's, whatever. So we did that. So we take our picture. I took the picture of a family that was, and it was a beautiful family, great, super friendly, and they were having fun. It was probably like 12 people. So I took a picture for all of them. They did the same. And the guy, the, the one of the members of the family, who was a super nice guy, says, I got to tell you, has anybody ever told you that you look almost identical to Dexter Gordon, the legendary saxophonist? <laughs> and I go, no, actually nobody has. And he goes, I just, I can't get over it. I mean, you look identical to him. It's unbelievable. I, I, I'm, I'm shocked. No one's ever told you that look like Dexter Gordon. I'm like, no, I, I don't. I've never been told that. He goes, I, it's and like he's like marveled over it, right? So we take our so you know then you kind of walk and there's like a little walk bridge that goes over a really cool area it looks like a little river with like lilies in it or whatever so everybody's just sta- standing at that and he walks back over again and goes i'm serious man i can't get over it and i go oh well thanks so now eddie do you happen to have so in front the guy's of you, obsessed with you well no he's obsessed with dexter gordon and, and and then he says which was nice he goes i gotta tell you too you guys are such a beautiful couple and i go well thanks she's had a crush on dexter gordon for years <laughs> now dexter gordon is no longer with us and he's, I, I think I've got the name right. Do you have the, Eddie, are you looking on Wikipedia there or Google? That is the right name, yeah. Okay. How would you describe Dexter Gordon if you could? Wait, what? What do you mean? I mean, physically describe him. Like, I mean, this guy, this guy literally thought I was, it was like he was seeing the ghost of, of, of jazz bands past. The way your heads are constructed or is very similar. The way your eyes sit. Inside your face are also similar, but I don't he's, see he's African American for for starters, right? Well, uh, to mm-hmm. be fair to Eddie, I pulled up, I found that out. But to be fair to Eddie, the first twelve pictures of Dexter Gordon are all black and white. So yes, okay, fair. I, I, I do understand, but still, I now, and I will say this too, because of the new field lights and the way the light, you know, there's like multicolored lights. So ones, and I don't mean like white or black. I just mean you, you know whether or not you are. Somebody who's like a pale skin or a darker skin or red skin, you know, like a flush skin, you can't tell because the lights are are changing constantly, right? Like you have like a blue hue on everybody. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, honestly, hang on, I'm gonna walk over there. Like, yeah, here, why don't you? Now, now, how about this young fellow right here? Okay. Like I, if you saw I, that picture, would you go? That looks like Quarry. I think you got the eyes, but no, I would never. Okay. Also, I just got a text from uh, f- former boss of mine, Stu Murray. Uh, he is six foot five. So, Dexter, okay, I'm six yeah. four. Are you six four? Okay. Yeah. So well, there what you year go. was yeah. Dexter Gordon living? Uh, well, 1923 to 1990. So that's the other thing that's so if 19. So if he was in his prime in 1955, like that. That's the other thing. It's 1955. Sta- like, like it's not. It's not <laughs> like this guy was seeing him in concert. You know what I mean? Anyway. So that was my holiday. That was so, the highlight of my holiday. Okay, so next question. I was can, flattered by can, it. I thought it was cool. Can you play the sax? No. Well, we got to... That would be my our gift to you. <laughs> yeah. It's like your... Saxophone lessons? <laughs> I, I can assure you that if you gave me the sax, it would sound about as good as the Colts versus Atlanta. <laughs> How's that? That was a flat out... Here's, here's, the, uh, here's the bottom line. The Colts went down to Atlanta... I'm not going to say the devil went down to Georgia because I'm not the devil. The Colts went down to Atlanta in a game that everything was right there for them. They knew that Pittsburgh had beaten Cincinnati, so maybe that you know that gave them a little juice because they're like, okay, 
you know, they, they probably needed, I don't know which one, there are positives and negatives on, on both sides of that coin, right? But Denver got beat. That was after the fact, admittedly. What a brutal loss for them. Jacksonville got beat. Yeah. Brutal as well, right? Yeah. Houston got beat. And the Colts went down to Atlanta against a mid-tier Falcons team against Taylor Heineke, who beat them with Washington a year ago and absolutely got punched in the mouth. They got punched in the mouth, man. I know it's Christmas and we're supposed to be more courteous and kind and, and compassionate and caring. They went down to Atlanta and got embarrassed. They got embarrassed. They asked people to sacrifice their and, and give up part of their Christmas Eve to sit down and watch that, and it was a complete crap fest. They got embarrassed. And, you know, it's bad enough that you got the Pacers, like, continuing to get whipped around by Orlando to head into the weekend, and then that. That was bad. That that was bad. Were you at that Magic game? Yes. I was, too. Best part about it was a dude hit 25 grand from That was unbelievable. Court. I actually stood up at the Pacers game on Friday night, Pacers in Orlando, and Orlando. They brought a guy out. He had on the best pair of Air Jordans that you could have, the Retro 3s. <laughs> he was styling, man. He was. And, and my understanding is great dude who's very like involved with youth in Indianapolis. So they brought him out. He hit the – you could just tell by his form when he hit the three. Yeah. I'm like, this guy's going to hit the half-court shot. And they let him slow down, which is the other benefit, right? Yeah, shout out B-Swift. So, he was like, take a breath. Yeah. So he goes out there and B-Swift is like, you can't go over this line. And I, I stood up with my phone – because I turn around to Shannon and I go, this guy's going to hit this shot. You watch. He's going to drill it. And he drilled it. And then he ran around. He did the Tyree skip. It was cool. 25 grand, right? Well, I think TJ McConnell was more pumped than he TJ was. TJ McConnell came out to midcourt and, and gave him some love. Yeah, TJ was, was trying to do like the shoulder jump. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was awesome. That was the highlight of the game, though. It was. The rest of it, Orlando is kind of the blueprint of what Indiana needs to be. And, and by that, I mean... There's nobody on Orlando that – well, Paolo Banquero is a really good player. Great player. Really good player. But but everybody else on that roster, I don't know that there's anybody that independently you look at and it jumps out and, and strikes at you, but they have an excellent accumulation of 6'7 to 6'9 guys that actually legitimately want to guard you on the wing. And the Pacers' defense is really bad. Yeah. Keep in mind, Jalen Suggs did not play. Yeah, he's a good player. I mean, Jalen Suggs is one that I thought Brennan was going to be a great player. Same. He, he's a good player. But he's a great piece on that team. He is. Right? But he is. I, I think what impressed me most about the Magic, and be, I only stayed for the first half. They're I had just to come a do, really bad matchup for the Pacers. Horrible. I had to come do Indiana Sports Talk. But I think Wendell Carter plays his role perfectly. I, he knows what he has to do, bang inside, and he does so. Isaac is a nice piece off the bench. I mean, he's not going to blow you out, but, I mean, he plays defense. He's a great stretch player. He can take it to the cage. Well, and both Wagners are really good. Yeah. Because they they just play at an energy. They understand where everybody is. I mean, they're, they're, they guard you. They're tough, man. It, like, the Pacers, what I loved about the in-season tournament, and I'll stick by this, is – it's starting to already show its benefit because I think that Indiana learned that put them on 
that, that turn the light up a little bit. Like you were talking earlier about when you had your concussion and like you'd be in bright lights like this and you were uber sensitive to it. The the Pacers are a young enough team that they're still uber sensitive to the bright lights. Yeah. And so the earlier that, that they can learn that and figure out how to get around it is going to be better. But they've got a lot of learning to do between now and when the playoffs roll around. They're going to be a playoff team, but I think the thing that's hard for them is they are still a team based on the way they're they're built and based on the way they play that and Rick Carlisle I think would tell you this learning how to guard without totally compromising the speed and pace that you play offensively is the challenge because the speed and pace that you play offensively when that's going for you is what makes you unique in the league but it's hard to it's hard to turn up your defense without compromising that in any way. And that's the challenge that that they face. You know what I mean? There's no doubt. And when you play a team like Orlando, and I think you can even say, you know, Houston, they're not anywhere near the magic, but Houston's got some pieces, even playing like an OKC in the future. Playing those types of teams, it's just more and more evident that, and I listened to you and Jimmy talk about it, the perfect piece for this team Albeit ironic, is Paul George. A, a player like that, a six seven, six eight guy that can play the three, that can defend. And when you play a team like the Magic, who have how many of those guys? Right. Four, I mean, five. Seemingly endless, endless. right? I mean, yeah. it's like off the bench, yeah. like, oh, this guy just came out from a locker room. Right. You need somebody like that if you're going to contend. Because right now, Orlando, it's not significantly better, but it is a better record hey, than Indiana right I'll now. I'll tell you what, do you remember? Here's why I give the Orlando Magic a ton of credit. And we'll get into the Colts and what all of the happenings from this weekend mean specifically for them in the playoffs in just a couple of minutes here on the other side. One of the things for where I give huge credit to Orlando, and I was thinking this the whole time I was watching the game, do you remember in the draft two years ago, or last year, whichever way you want to look at it, when going into it, literally 30 minutes before the draft began, every what we usually see as lock, stock, and barrel expert had it locked, stock, and barrel that the number one pick was going to be Jabari Smith. Right. Or Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren was in the discussion, right? Yep, yep. And But it was like one of those two guys is going to be – and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, that was the – I mean, usually you know who the number one pick's going to be going in. And they take Paolo Banquero, and everybody's like, whoa, wait a minute, hang on, What? And he was a good player at Duke, don't get me wrong. I mean, he was an elite-level player. But he was definitely thought to be the third player in that draft class. Now, Holmgren is already – Holmgren is also showing good signs, although, you know, he's in – essentially it's his rookie year this year because of the injury. And Smith looks like he's going to be a player. Is he a franchise player? Probably not. But Boncaro looks like a franchise player. I mean, he is a guy that can do – you know, he's 6'10", he can do multiple things. He's a tough matchup. He, he's good. And, and I looked at it and I go – you know what? Kudos to them, man, because they knocked it out of the park. I mean, they knew what they were doing. I yeah, the didn't... wild part about that is they never worked him out. They never interviewed Correct. him. Before it was that. the most. It was the most like close to the best thing ever. Uh, what right? do you have? Thirty six, Eddie. I think that's right. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he took that game over, and he just can do, he can hit you in multiple ways. You know what I mean? Yeah, and there was nobody that could stop. I mean, hell, Jake, the Pacers are having a hard time stopping Goga Batadze. When he was on the floor, yeah, I know. That, that's and, and like people, why were people booing Goga? I don't know. He's I mean, how do you yeah, not like Goga? But still, that's that's sort of uh, 
to me, that's sort of like getting towards slap in the face territory where you let this guy go for peanuts and now you can't stop him. Well, you're talking about Goga. Yeah. I mean, you know, in Goga's time, I can't remember if they just didn't resign him or if they traded him. I can't remember the exact circumstance. I thought they let him walk, right? They, they might have let him walk. There, there were so I think there might have been some maturity issues when he was here, to be he honest. Understood. With you. you know what I mean? A little behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, we come back. We'll take a look at the playoff scenario and what happened yesterday and Saturday as well, how it affects the Colts and how the Colts might have shot themselves in the foot. Kevin Bowen joins us 1 o'clock. Don Fisher, one thirty. Stephen Holder at 2 o'clock today. Merry Christmas to you on this Boxing Day. We'll let you know what that means if you don't know what Boxing Day means. We'll do it on the other side. Square Company. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Brendan King, question for you. You are a native of Chicago, correct? Correct. You spent a little bit of holiday time in the Windy City, correct? That is correct. So you are a guy that is used to cold weather when it comes to the holiday season. That is right. Probably used to cold weather through January. And or Feb, yeah. And then February, I've always felt like, like there's no more depressing time of year than the next five weeks, right? It's just, (laughs) Well. Shortest day of the year was on the twenty first. I mean, <laughs> how'd you like the sun go down at four p.m.? That was well, that was like, unreal. You were in Chicago for that, right? Oh yeah, it's three thirty yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's crazy, yeah. right? You know, you would take the bus home from sports, and the sun is already oh, down. I mean, it's brutal. It's but this stretch, you know, I mean, for the last six weeks, there's always been some benchmark right around the corner, right? Thanksgiving, and then like the holiday season, and. Christmas, you know, now obviously sports calendar wise, still you have that. But this time of year, you start thinking about warm weather. Ah, oh, it'd be great to be on a cruise. I don't know if I could do the, like, I have a friend that took a cruise to Belize for Christmas. They were on a cruise ship for Christmas, really? Christmas holiday. Whole family was there. I don't know if I could do that. Cause like being under a tree and like with a fire going and being lazy for the day does kind of feel like Christmas to me. But that's just, again, it's just what you're used to. And cruises on Christmas makes it tough for Santa. Huh? I mean, he's how do you park the reindeer on the cruise ship? Well, so, that's the thing. Know. I don't know if you know this or not. Santa also paratrooper. Yeah. So the oh. reindeer put it in idle. I see. Yeah. So the reason I ask if you like warm weather, because, and this is not, I always get a kick out of this. If the playoffs began today, which they don't. <laughs> But if every, you know, we basically just went through a week where every position essentially stayed the same because of the way things worked out. If the playoffs begin today, Eddie Garrison, I will ask you without looking, the, the Colts will be playing where? In Miami. That is correct. In Miami to take on the super fast and speedy Dolphins. Hmm. Buffalo would be in Kansas City to take on Jimmy's totally backpedaling Chiefs. And no, before people want to call in and jump off, you know, and, and go on about it and join the bandwagon. Travis Kelsey dating Taylor Swift has nothing to do with why the Chiefs are reeling. It's a lazy narrative. What? It's the one that you say flying over. The Chiefs are reeling because of the fact that they lost their best offensive weapon in the offseason. They didn't replace him, and they have very average receivers. Juju? That's why 
the Kansas City Chiefs. The guy that Kansas City used as a secret weapon is actually who the Colts would be trying to slow down if they go in to Miami. And he was pretty slow. I mean, this is kind of crazy to say. Tyreek Hill had nine catches for 99 yards this week. That's a slow day for him. Correct. Yeah, you kept him in control yeah, then, right. right? Right. Yeah, if you hold him out of the end zone, that's a win at this point. Uh, Cleveland would be with Jacksonville if things – but that's assuming Jacksonville wins the division. And they're – listen, that's tenuous at best. But here's the thing. Let's talk about the tiebreakers, and we've gone over this before. The Colts have a huge advantage over everybody else in one area. Easiest way to say it is this. There are two ways to get into the playoffs, okay? You get in by winning your division, or you get in by being a wild card. When it comes to the wild card, the Colts have major tiebreaker advantages. First and foremost being they have the best record within the conference, which is the first. If there are more than two teams vying for a single wild card spot, which at this point that would appear to be the case because you got a log jam of teams, right? So if there are three or more that are vying for a wild card spot, the very first tiebreaker is conference record. And the Colts in that regard are good. I mean, they've got a major advantage in the conference record standpoint. Within the conference, the Colts are six and four. Jacksonville's at six and five, but if the Colts are vying for a wild card scenario, that means that Jacksonville has won the division, right? So the Colts at six and four within the division. Houston is at five or within the conference. Houston's at five and five within the conference. Buffalo's at five and five. So they got a game up on everybody in that regard as of now. And one of those two teams that you just said you're going to see in two weeks. And suddenly this Raiders game has become talk of the league. Yeah. The right? Raiders I mean, also at five and five in the conference center, seven and eight, probably not in the playoffs, but they could play major spoiler. Can't they, they could. They yeah. could. And they, and if you're the Raiders, you're playing for, hey, listen, let's try to win out, finish at nine and eight. And if we beat Indianapolis, they're eight and eight. And if they lose to Houston, you know, all of a sudden the Raiders are like, wait a minute, is there an opening here? I mean, probably not for them because you have Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, you have other teams in the way. It's happened before, not necessarily from a Raiders perspective, but I mean, this has happened as recently as two years ago. Raiders in town, second to last week. And then the last week, you blow it. I mean, right. That, right? right. that was two years ago. So if it comes, so what you almost want, I mean, it would be great for the Colts to win the division, right? No doubt. But if the Colts, if it comes down to the Colts in Jacksonville with a with tied records at the end of the season, the Jags would win the division because they have the first tie. If there's only two teams for a division, if the division is a tie between two teams, the first tiebreaker is head to head. Jacksonville has that. If it's a tie amongst three teams, the first tiebreaker is record within the division. Indianapolis would in this scenario that would mean that they let's say beat Houston so they would be four and two Jacksonville within the division would be four and one they still have Tennessee left you would assume they they win that that would put them at five and one but if they lost that because and that's what puts them in the position of tie with Indianapolis that puts them at four and two but again tiebreaker over Indianapolis it becomes difficult for the Colts at that point I think what I'm getting at is long-winded and circuitously here is that it does feel like the Colts are still in good position for the wild card because even though you look at it on paper and you go, they went down to Atlanta and laid a total goose egg, they have put themselves in good position against those of which they would be competing for a wild card. 
the bad news of that, Brennan, is this, and that is they can't play like that again. No. They got manhandled in about every way that you could think, right? They couldn't control – Gardner Minshew did not play well. They couldn't protect Gardner Minshew. They couldn't stop the – it reminded me of the Jim Mora rant, diddly poo. We couldn't stop the run. We couldn't run the ball. Every time they got the ball, they went down and scored points. I, it was brutal. Yeah, and I mean, they gave up big plays to the guys that Atlanta has been complaining about for the last year and a half. I mean, Kyle Pitts scored. I mean, Drake London had a couple pretty big plays. I mean, Bijan Robinson has been good at times, but I think more so that's on his coach for misusing him. But yeah, I mean, they, they gave up monster chunk plays to the guys that the Falcons have been disappointed with. By the way, it is true Tyreek Hill wasn't there last year. I, I should point that out, obviously. But they had but their receiving core has completely dropped oh, we off. Know, oh, no doubt. But that was the start of it. Correct. Right. I mean, I mean they, they well they won the Super Bowl without him. Granted, yeah. but but their receiving core has completely. I mean, they didn't do anything to upgrade, and you can get away with that for a while. But it's, in other words, I don't think Travis Travis Kelsey is not the problem. The problem is now it's easier to hone in on Travis Kelsey because you just don't have the weapons elsewhere. Somewhere a Swifty just I, made the connection. I'm the problem. It's me. I think <laughs> I think Travis is just getting older. He's been nicked up a few times this year, and he hasn't been fully healthy. And he I think part of it too, yeah, yeah. You don't think about that, do you? Mm-mm. I don't know. I think he's still a really good player, man. Oh, I do too. I, I do, do too, too, but I don't think he's the same type of explosive player he was. I mean, just even last well, year. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Father Time is undefeated. But what I'm saying is, they. I think Jimmy'd be the first to tell us. I mean, he watches them all the time. Obviously, their, their receiving core has. They got nobody to throw to. I I guess I've just never associated Travis Kelsey about to be in his mid-30s. That's great because it's felt like he's been Superman for But he was good this year. I mean, there have been times he's been good this year, right? Oh, yeah, no doubt. I I just think that the, you know, people that are like, Patrick Mahomes just didn't do the magic anymore. He doesn't have guys that are getting behind defenses, number one. You know, Kelsey was always, Travis Kelsey was always, his safety net when people got behind the defense and then as a result, the middle core of the defense is having to drop back. That's great. Like in an oh my goodness area. And and so now Kelsey all of a sudden is flashing across the middle open, catching the ball, and now he's got a full head of steam. Well now linebackers in the middle of the defense is able to just go ahead and stop him at that point and not let him roam freely to get open when the play starts to break down. It's a great because point. they're on him yeah. the whole time. Yeah, no I mean, doubt. That, that that's the reality of what's happening with Kansas City. I, you know, it's not. I'm not. Believe you me, I'm the last thing that would ever you would ever list as a defender of Travis Kelsey. But Travis Kelsey is like fifth on the depth chart of their offensive problems, and and a big part of their offensive problems are the is the fact that the weapons that normally allowed him and facilitated for him to be available on the field. Those those guys that that the replacement, if you will, players aren't there. They're not they're not making plays. Who Eddie? Who would you say tactically there is their number one wide receiver? Rasheed Rice. Yeah, I, I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, so there you go. Who's their number two? MVS. Oh boy, I don't know. I, probably right. Yeah, I'm looking probably. at their. If you look at their leading receivers. From two years ago, okay? The leading receivers for the Kansas City Chiefs two years ago. 
I'm trying to pull this up, and of course it's giving me like all kinds of weird advanced stats. I'll back you up. Um, okay. In terms of receiving, McKinnon. No, that this can't be right. He's a running on. back. Yeah, I, I know. I'm looking at like this is all convoluted. And have you ever tried to look up stuff and you get into like some weird saber and you're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Who were there? Go back two to, years ago. I got okay. it right here. Okay, Tyreek, twelve thirty nine. Okay, number two, Travis Kelsey, eleven twenty five. The next highest receiver was McCole Hardman, six ninety three. What about last year? So Tyreek's gone. He's in Miami, and if you recall, actually, like, took a minute for for him to get established in Miami last year. Juju Smith Schuster. Okay, he was second to Travis Kelsey. Okay, yeah. nine thirty three. Who was third? Marquez Valdez Scantling was third, six eighty seven. Oh yeah, there you go. And then a running back. Yep, McKinnon. And that's the other thing is they're they're. I do think actually that that they're you know they do have some pretty good things out of the backfield. But what I'm getting at I is think. I just I just think their personnel is such that it's hard to pinpoint it to one player. That's way too much talk about the Kansas City Chiefs probably. But um, <laughs> I'm sure you'll talk plenty more this week. But they still though I don't know that people around here care that much. But it does involve the Colts a little bit because. Hell, they're falling back into the Colts category, into the Colts territory in terms of, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, could you imagine facing them as like a, they're a three seed or something? I, that's what I mean. That's scary as hell. I mean, if they go, well, they wouldn't be a, well, yeah, no, they would, right? Yeah. I mean, they are the beneficiary of the fact, although the Raiders are, you know, it's funny, that division Crazy division. It is, because you've got the Broncos that look like maybe they want to come out and play a little bit, but I think they kind of got pushed back out of the sandbox. you got the Raiders that like nobody was thinking about, and they're kind of getting back into the sandbox and kicking sand around a little bit, right? Neither one's going to win the division. And then the Chargers, like, well, what are the Chargers doing, right? They nearly beat the Bills, though. At the, I know. Right? No, I you're mean, right. <laughs> you're right. right. I mean, the, the Bills are the ones that I think everybody just wants left out, right? Yeah. I mean, can we agree to this that of all the teams – the St. Louis Cardinals in baseball, Brennan, you know, you're a Cubs guy, right? Right. The St. Louis Cardinals every year are the team that you're like, the years that they've won the World Series half the time, they get into some wild card that like you just kept expecting to fade I mean, and they the never did. The last two. The last two. And then they, you're like, just don't let them in. Now, I know that Buffalo has fallen short of expectation and that they are not like something, but, but still, doesn't it feel like just do not let them in? Because they no. do have, it feels like, the ability to flip the switch and go, right? At a moment's notice. I mean, Josh Allen can throw the ball 70 yards. Just downfield, you're down seven, just like that, right? To me, Allen, and I love Josh Allen. Josh Allen has such natural gifts throwing the football, Brendan, that oddly enough, he is at his most dangerous when he's not trying to capitalize on them. Correct. Like, I think that sometimes because he can throw on a rope in a 70-mile-an-hour wind, 65 you know yards across his body. He relies on that at times, and it forces him to make really bad decisions. And as of late, he has been smarter about when not to do those things, even though even though he can make the wow play that, that makes you fall out of your chair. He, he has learned when not to do that, and that's actually been to his benefit, and that's why they, they've kind of turned things around here. You just made the baseball connection to the Cardinals. I got one for you there. It's Aaron Judge trying to beat Maris's single-season record. When you're trying to hit a home run, 
and you're trying to crush a baseball, odds are you're not going to because your swing goes way out of sorts. You hit a home run when you're able to extend your arms and you go after a baseball, not when you try and swing at your greatest strength. That's right. what Judge ran into trying to pass Maris because he barely got there because he was trying too hard. Yeah, I think you're right. Like when you, you just go with what naturally is there for just you, Just take right? your swing, man. But the bottom line is this. Um, with two games left, the Colts are right there. And I think we've known for a while that it probably was going to come down to Houston at home. But that Vegas game is starting to get bigger and bigger, right? By the hour. And whoever would have guessed, are, do, do, the, do the Raiders worry you? Do they really worry you? A An angry Devontae Adams worries me because Aiden O'Connell can sling it. He can actually throw it. But doesn't it feel like he would be very susceptible in the moment? Yes. By himself, he does not worry me. But knowing that there's been a track record of this before does, as recent as two years ago. I mean, Jake, that when you think to two years ago, that was as, and this is Carson Wentz's Indianapolis Colts. They had yeah. just beaten the Cardinals on Christmas. Well, we know what happened. Everything imploded then, oh, right? Oh, that's right. They had just beaten the Cardinals on Christmas. Everybody's feeling good. Raiders are in town. You just got to win one of the next two, Jake. Lose to the Raiders. All right, let's and, go to Jacksonville. And then that little red line showed up yeah. in the wrong column. Right. And Carson Wentz had told Jim Mercer at the beginning of the year, I know the risk, and I'm willing to fall on the sword if my risk puts me in a different category of punishment, and that's exactly what happened. You lost the next two. And the season went south, and Jim Mercer walked in and said, I don't care what it takes. At the beginning of the year, I sat down with every player, and I said – I understand that you have your own free choice, and I support as Americans your choice to be vaccinated or not, but the NFL and the NFL Players Association, of which you guys are all members, set a guideline that said that if you choose not to be vaccinated under your own free will as an American, which is totally cool, that the penalty, if you test positive, is going to be more severe than if you are not vaccinated. And whether or not that's fair, just, right, or wrong, you all agreed to it, and that's the way it is, so... I'm giving you that free choice, but just know that if it comes back to haunt my team at the end of the year, there are going to be very severe penalties. And in Carson Wentz's case, at the end of the year, that's exactly what happened. And Jim Irsay went and said, I don't care what happens next year. This guy's not my quarterback. And so, voila, you end up with a complete change. And now here we are with obviously Gardner Minshew, but Anthony Richardson is the face of the franchise. So probably actually turned out to be for the better. Because you get a longer leash now of time at the quarterback position. But that's exactly how it went down. Kevin Bowen, uh, by the way, going to join us at 1. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I immediately thought of it. Eddie Garrison here just dug it up. Although I, it's probably not too far away in queue at any given time. It shouldn't be when you're doing a sports radio show talking about the NFL. Uh, but as I was watching the end of the Colts-Falcons game and it was clearly out of sight, all I could think to myself is, I wonder what former Colts head coach Jim Mora would say about this performance. We couldn't do diddly-poo offensively. We couldn't make a first down. We couldn't run the ball. We didn't try to run the ball. We couldn't complete a pass. We sucked. The second half, we sucked. 
They went down every time they got the football and scored. <laughs> In my opinion, that sucked. That's about right. Um, now, the other side of it is, if you were to ask Jim more about the playoffs, he would not go into his famous rant. Because even though Tim Bragg asked that question that led Jim Moore to say that, that was after a game where the Colts had been blown out of the building by the San Francisco 49ers. And in fact, the playoffs at that point were pretty much out of reach because the Colts mathematically would have had to have won out that year. That wasn't going to happen. And he knew it. But playoffs are still very much in sight for the Colts. Very much in sight. But the question that I want to ask Kevin Bowen and I know it's not necessarily a popular question, and I get it, Brendan, but we've kind of hinted about this throughout the course of the year, is, you know, is this a team that has just kind of hit a few snags and maybe just health issues are coming into play? Or, as is often the case, as I talk about a lot, when a team gets eliminated from contention for the season, usually it is because the things that have plagued them all year, all come into form in one area, and the the eliminating game is like a microcosm of the season. And is this, Brendan, a team that has a mixture of times where they've played well and also just been a little bit of fool's gold based on their schedule? But, you know, that said, you got to beat the teams you're supposed to beat. And for the most part, they've done that, but they did not do it on Sunday well, or I mean, Saturday. Yeah, when, when you think about both ends of the totem pole, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is the win in Baltimore. Yeah. Right? Isn't that amazing? Look at what they did last night. Uh, they made uh, Brock Purdy was going to win the NFL MVP before last night, possibly. You're going to laugh when I say this? He still could. Still could. But he, at least before last night, he was a shoe in, right? Well, you saw about some poor SOB what he did, right? Oh. Yeah. There was, there was, yeah. A, there was a guy out there who had bought a ticket. Well, although, you know what? The old prop swap. So. A guy somewhere had bought a ticket for Brock Purdy to win MVP. I forget, I, I don't remember what the initial investment was. I can't was remember the two grand, initial. Two grand at first. Okay, so a guy paid two grand for a ticket. The, the swap purchase price of it, so at this point it was set to pay him 200 grand. But instead of waiting to see if Purdy won MVP and possibly collecting 200 grand, he sold the rights to that ticket, if you will, to another better who paid one hundred twenty-five thousand. So that better now was paying one hundred twenty-five thousand, <laughs> with the assumption uh. that there was the chance to to net or profit seventy-five grand off of it because it was still worth a two hundred dollar, two hundred thousand dollar payoff for Brock Purdy. The guy bought it on Monday, and then yesterday Brock Purdy went out and completely wet himself. Now, one would think that does that take him out? I don't know because the MVP does not go off one game, but that's a pretty high-profile game to have a bad game. I mean, he's got to bounce back at this but, point. But even still, though, if he bounces back, has two good games, and they are the number one seed, he's right back in the conversation. Oh, I, I, that's what I'm saying. I mean, but the guy, the one that sold it for 125 is, I mean, right there. Oh, you're not feeling too good on Christmas. I mean, <laughs> no, the one that sold it, not oh, the one that oh, the, bought it. The, the one that, the one that, one that sold, sold it, it's like hallelujah, right? He's like uh, Scrooge McDuck that's exactly diving right. into the gold pit. Uh, Kevin Bowen joins us next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And Bowen, of course, does the morning show with Andy Sweeney. The wake-up call with KB and Andy each morning. That included a conversation this morning with Rick Carlisle, but a lot of the conversation is exactly what we'll talk about, and that's the Colts 
laying, they basically did, instead of going down and playing the part of Santa and delivering a gift for all of the Colts fans, they went down and played the part of the Easter Bunny and laid an egg in Atlanta. But, Kevin, the most burning question that I have for you is this. In the Bowen household, I assume that Santa came and was very good to your children, but do you leave out reindeer food for Santa as well or just the cookies and milk? Yeah, we did both. Um, both yeah, I mean, how else is Santa going to have an you know, operating fleet to get through the night Correct. unless they're properly fed? So, yeah, I just felt like I was doing our civic duty. So what does one leave out for uh, Rudolph and the rest of the reindeer? Would it be car- just carrots? Yeah, we. Uh, I think we had a couple other veggies in there. I think Rosie might have thrown a tomato onto the plate. Yeah, that's good. Match, that's good. You know, uh-huh. Match Rudolph's nose, I think, was some of the thinking behind that there. So, yeah, I think um, uh, some veggies maybe potentially on the uh, brink of uh, expiration as well. So <laughs> I, I think that's what was on the plate. Okay, when we look at the Colts and their performance in Atlanta, was that – more A, about scheme, B, about not having your entire fleet, or C, the reality of who they are kind of starting to show itself? Um, I mean, the cop-out is probably a little bit of a, of all of it, but I, I, I think there's you know merit to each of the points. Um, you know, large picture, is this an average football team that's feasted upon a really manageable schedule? Yeah, probably. Uh, is it an offense that lacks explosion, especially when you take away, uh, you know, Michael Pittman Jr. and, you know, trying to create consistent product, even if you want to go to that level? Uh, yeah, I'd say that as well. And then defensively, I think that's the most disappointing issue from the game of um, just a horrific day tackling. Probably one of the wor- worst tackling days I've seen out of a Colts team in, you know, quite some time. And no playmaking either. You know, I think when you play like a backup quarterback, you think, oh, wow. You know, you're going to have opportunities to make plays and no turnovers. Uh, first time in 19 games they haven't had a turnover. And uh, the only sack was, you know, pretty much just kind of a, you know, a tackle for no gain on that play. So, uh, yeah, it's probably a little bit everything. But at the same time, you know, Atlanta obviously had a lot of stack against them as well. And uh, you really gave them their best moment of the season. Most points scored all year long and a you know, team that they got a lot of questions about the future at head coach, certainly the future at quarterback for one day, they were able to celebrate Christmas. Kevin, when you look at the weekend in general, which way do you look at it? I guess. And, and this isn't meant as a personality test for you. I just mean, if you're the Colts, which way do you need to look at it? A gosh, what a beautiful opportunity we bypassed because everything around us that needed to happen for the most part did, or B Woo, huge relief, no harm, no foul. We delayed for a week losing major footing. I think the missed opportunity, and probably because the Cincinnati game happened on Saturday. You know, when they lost, I mean, that was the team that you know, right now they have the head-to-head tiebreaker. If you look at the other teams at 8-7, and seven, you have it over Pittsburgh. You have it over Houston for now. We'll obviously find out next week exactly where that's going to go. But Cincinnati's the one that you're really, really worried about. And the Colts, you know, even Sunday's loss doesn't impact this. They continue to have a really nice conference record, which is also a tiebreaker that could get involved here if needed in the next couple of weeks. So uh, I would say that was kind of the one where if you were to win yesterday, uh, you would still be in control of your, you know, playoff chances. Technically, if the Colts win their last two and Cincinnati wins its last two, 
and they are the only two teams tied in a tiebreaker, uh, Cincinnati would get in over Indianapolis. So uh, you aren't in control because of, you know, your missed opportunity, of course, on Sunday. So I'd probably look at it there. And the AFC South door, I mean, continues to be cracked open with how Jacksonville's played over the month of December and, you know, another injury for Trevor Lawrence. And I know they finished the year with Carolina and Tennessee, but I mean, still, I mean, you talk about a chance to, you know, potentially be, you know, in control of uh, a home game uh, for the playoffs. I mean, that that, that just kind of adds to it. So I want to go back to another point here, Kevin, if so that people are clear. If a wild card spot comes down between Indianapolis and Cincinnati and only Indianapolis and Cincinnati, advantage Indianapolis because they have the – or excuse me, advantage Cincinnati because they have the head-to-head, Right. But if it comes down to Cincinnati, Indianapolis, and a third party, advantage Indianapolis because they have the better conference record, which if there are more than two, becomes the tiebreaker, correct? Yeah, I think the only caveat of that is if you throw like Buffalo into that group, um, and right now they are a game above Indianapolis and Cincy, but if Buffalo got involved, I think because Cincinnati has beaten both of those teams, they would win that. So. Basically, what you need is a multiple team tiebreaker that not everybody's played each other or one team has played the others. Uh, that's why, right now, if you look at it, there's all these eight and seven teams Indy, Houston, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati. And to initially get rid of some of those teams, they use division tiebreaker. Well, Indy beat Houston, so that's why Indy is above Houston. And then Pittsburgh swept Cincinnati, so that's why they are above Cincinnati. Then you go with Indy and and Pittsburgh, and obviously the Colts beat the Steelers last week. Um, So it's very confusing. It's up in the article on 107.5 The Fan. I try to explain as best I can. But basically, win out and cheer for a Cincinnati loss or cheer for a big old tiebreaker with Cincinnati, and you'll be fine. Now, the other curveball in all of this, Kevin Bowen, is the following, and that is – who realistically thought the Raiders were going to win yesterday, and the negative to that for the Colts is that kind of keeps the Raiders interested for another week, right? I mean, it's a very, very, very outside chance, but if you're the Raiders, you're looking at it and you're going, hey, we could actually wreak some havoc in this entire thing, right? And now all of a sudden, what looked to be not a pushover game, but certainly one where you had advantage Colts kind of looks tricky, does it not? The Raiders could still win the AFC West. Isn't that crazy? If they win their final two, yeah, and Kansas City loses their final two. Uh, I, I'd say the biggest question I have for the Raiders exiting yesterday, obviously, you know, huge one for the franchise, Antonio Pierce's emotion, you know, in his words, and, um, you know, kind of speaks for itself. But uh, obviously, Aiden O'Connell not completing a single pass in the final three quarters is no recipe for success. I mean, if you watch that game, it really just kind of turned in like a, you know, really like a five-minute span when Kansas City couldn't handle an exchange and then Mahomes has a pick six on the next drive and then boom, the Raiders play from ahead. I mean, certainly the Raiders control the line of scrimmage and that is something that if you look at you know, Sunday for the Colts, they did not do. They didn't do it against Cincinnati. They did it against Pittsburgh and they did it and they didn't do it against Atlanta. I mean, if you boil it down just to that, aspect of the game that's a huge reason why they've had two convincing losses sandwiched around a convincing win here in the last three weeks so um, the other thing I'm curious about is you know just how are the Raiders emotionally coming into Sunday I mean certainly they're playing for a lot but like that was kind of their Super Bowl that was their 
almost like a little, probably more honestly, but it would be almost like if the Colts win in Jacksonville whenever they do that again, if they ever do that again, maybe. Um, They kind of had that feel to it, but I would say on a bigger level considering interim head coach and heavy underdog and all that. But, you know, short week, multiple time zone travel. I mean, does that help the Colts out at all? That is something I'll be curious about. Kev, hope you had a great Christmas. Two-part question, first thing that has to be addressed, as we texted yesterday. Uh, Usually the scene of a crime for a father and son is when the son beats you on the golf course. But uh, (laughs) it's your son outsmarting nine professional radio people. Uh, Your reaction to Max picking the Falcons? Max Bowen has uh, seven straight wins on his resume. Um, (laughs) Send them to Vegas! Yeah, it, it is a, a full ride to UNLV, I believe, has yeah. already been offered to him. So, seven straight wins. If you tailed the young kid, 15-month-old, um, and you know, simply just placed you know, a little $10 bet with him, you'd be up uh, north of $50 here as you enter the final two weeks of the season. If you wanted to go a little higher, certainly you could you know, bought a really nice set of Christmas presents there. So, yeah, uh, I believe... If I'm not mistaken, I think it's the third straight week I've disagreed with him and the third straight week I've been wrong. So quite quite humbling, to say the least. Unbelievable. Spe- I, go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of that, Kevin, what, what state would you say has the least academically prestigious state universities on its roster? Would it be Nevada? All they got to offer is Nevada and UNLV. Uh, does either one of those really academically blow you away? Are, are they – like – University of New Hampshire, I don't know anything about it, but it sounds like it might be kind of prestigious because it's in the Northeast, right? Yeah, I'll be honest. I feel like the further west you get, I'm just like, I mean, are the schools in Montana or Wyoming any good? <laughs> Is it that hard to get into New Mexico State? I, I, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. And then there's this weird... very biased towards the western part. Uh, are, are you calling State, Josh so. Allen Domith? <laughs> well, I mean, the weird thing is, like, the Northeast, it just sounds... Like, I've said this before... I mean, I have no idea if Colgate's a good school, but it's like Ivy League. It's a fighting dentist over there. Yeah, just because it's in the Northeast, it seems prestigious, right? Well, and and also, I mean, I would just assume it's been around longer, of course, just based off how our country was settled. So, yeah, I don't. Uh, nothing against you know the uh, the diplomas from those universities, but yeah, I, I I can't imagine the resumes are too extensive out there. What What do you consider the most? Jimmy Cook and I one time, like Jimmy and, and I think it was Eddie both, were blown away when I said this. What do you think, Kevin, in your opinion, is the most prestigious academic institution in America? Because I have one in mind and it's not an Ivy League, but that's not to say you'd be wrong if you said an Ivy League. Go. Um, Yale, Princeton, MIT, I don't know. See, uh, I mean, maybe one of the academies. I'd go Stanford. Sure, sure. Which is I guess Stanford takes every smart kid of the West, right? Because they don't have anywhere else to go. Because <laughs> they ain't going to Montana right. or New Mexico State, right? <laughs> yeah, and I'm also torn on like you know how many of these out of state. Like I, I remember we had a good friend growing up who like he was a valedictorian at Carmel, got waitlisted initially at Notre Dame, but like got into North Carolina. You know, I feel like you get into some, not to get into like an admissions debate, but it's like, how many in-state kids can we take? And how many, you know, wait, we've got to satisfy the out-of-state tuition financial component for us, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Kev, my actual Colts question here, and this is going to be a hypothetical, but with Pittman out, uh, and listen, working out Jarvis Landry, I'm not even throwing that into the conversation, but would having a bigger name 
number three-ish wide receiver that can actually go out and help you, would that have made a difference yesterday? Or in the Colts game against the Falcons? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I even think like an Ashton Doolin might have helped you a little bit. I mean, not to like, you know, act like Doolin or some, you know, savior, but if you look at the numbers for Alec Pierce and DJ Montgomery from Sunday, I think they played 132 offensive snaps combined. They had 38 receiving yards combined, four catches on 11 targets. And I was talking with Eddie Garrison earlier today about it. Like, Pittman has become a guy where you just pencil in eight catches, 90 yards, and maybe a touchdown every single game. And, like, taking that for granted is just, just foolish. Um, you know, it was a really poor day for the wideout group. I'd probably even slot Josh Downs in there, just drops and, and catchable balls. I mean, not to act like Minshew was – you know, whatever, some all pro out there, but I thought he delivered some on-target balls that his guys just did not help them out, uh, in particular those wideouts in that area. So, yes, I do, to answer your question, Brendan, I do think, um, you know, having another guy with some sort of resume, um, a little bit more of an established wideout uh, to make a few more consistent plays for you uh, would have helped you out. I think Montgomery was four targets and one catch. Obviously, that's a really poor ratio for him um, and it's not like you look at Atlanta secondary and think they're a vaunted you know cornerback group or anything like that they're a nice defense but uh, still I thought uh, honestly I thought it was a great day for Michael Pittman's agent a uh, great day for his contract negotiations um, just showing how consistently reliable he is no matter the competition no matter you know, who's playing quarterback for the Colts and uh, you you really really miss them Kevin I had asked this question earlier and I'm not asking I, I, I'm being legitimate when I ask this that was the first time, and maybe I've just been asleep at the wheel for two years, entirely possible, as we know. That was the first time that I have heard of an injury, instead of just simply concussion protocol, say as specifically brain injury. Am I, am I wrong here? Have I, have I just been not noticing this for, or is it just because it was a player of local interest if you will that, that that's the first time i've seen that terminology used that specifically um i guess uh, like the, the colt said that i i guess i don't know where yeah when 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 michael pittman so so i saw numerous reports that said michael pittman has now been taken out of the game due to like lingering effects of a brain injury as opposed to just simply he's Got back it. in concussion protocol i just said and, and here's why I know you know this because we work together I I will admit to being guilty at times of overthinking things but to me when I saw that that immediately jumped out at me because I thought look I know that Pittman is going to sign a contract don't get me wrong but I don't know he seems like a, a, a you know I don't know Michael Pittman Jr. but he seems like a very smart and and respectable young guy you know maybe not this one but does that accelerate him being an injury or two away from saying uh, of thinking whether or not he wants to play football long term? Because I don't know about you, like just for me, when I hear, I know what a concussion is. I know that a concussion is an is a bruising of the brain that takes place with a collision of the skull. I know that. But when I hear the term specifically brain injury, with everything that we see of former players, that gives me a way more heightened sensitivity to it than elsewise. And feel free to tell me that I am absolutely overthinking it. 
Well, I don't think the Colts have ever said brain injury. I mean, I, I know that there are some reporters, I think actually Nate Atkins is one of them, where he often will listen, and maybe he does it every time, will list brain injury instead of concussion. I, I just kind of go off what the injury report says, and the injury report says concussion. Yes, it is. I believe it's the only injury. Maybe there's others you could point to. I think it's the only injury where a body part, per se, is not listed. Obviously, to your point, right. brain would be the um, – uh, would be the body part. I, I think sometimes the NFL tries to skirt around that and trying to save a little like PR and they'll say, you know, head injury or uh, obviously concussion protocol, not brain protocol, if you will. So maybe it sounds better. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, again, I don't, maybe the Colts did say brain injury. I, I was told, you know, this is just, he's back in the concussion protocol, uh, you know, had a headache on Saturday. And that was why after being cleared by the independent neurologist on Friday, um, that's why they decided to hold him out. I guess technically they could have played him in the game, but um, they decided to hold him out after that. Obviously, that makes sense. And you know, I mean, certainly just your Pittman's comments from Friday about, you know, there is an element of um, he doesn't really remember much of that play or the immediate, you know, kind of aftermath of the play. I think the kind of the first thought was, um, you know, seeing his, his kids and his um and his wife in front of him in the locker room, you know, as he was getting looked at, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, I was, you know, you, you watch the guy walk off the field and you're thinking, you watch the hit and you're thinking, there's no way he's going to play next week. And you watch him walk off the field, you're like, how is he even walking off the field? I mean, right. he did in Carolina too after that hit. But, yeah, I guess specifically to answer the question, I, I don't believe the Colts said brain. But, again, I know there are people out there that certainly do report that it is brain and not – a concussion, maybe that's something I should probably follow suit in. But um, I, I, I feel like at times when I've seen that, people are like, wait, I'm confused. I thought it was concussion. I'm like, all right, well, you know, maybe that is probably just yeah, the way to go. Yeah, because technically I guess a concussion is a brain injury, right? I, but, right, you know, right. the, the other thing too, Kevin, um, that I wanted to touch on, and I guess this is not necessarily a question but a statement, and then you tell me if you agree. I, I, I saw, and I thought this myself, and I mentioned it earlier to Brendan, my first thought was, well, I would imagine that if you're coming off a concussion, that being on an airplane could accelerate or reawaken those symptoms. And even if he had been cleared by an independent counsel or an independent doctor, that the airplane ride could have caused complications, to which I thought to myself, why wouldn't they ground transport him to Atlanta? To then, I thought... Well, if if the injury is such that the difference between being on the ground or the air is enough of a factor to reawaken it, then it's probably an injury that needs to be rested for another week regardless. Does that make sense? Yeah, I was a little surprised that he traveled. Um, you know, I, I, I thought, and I could be wrong on this, I should probably double-check it, but I, you know, I remember being told that he woke up Saturday um, feeling, you know, whatever. Headache symptoms, and that was before they traveled. Exact. Correct. Yeah, Saturday afternoon is when okay. they traveled down there, um, and then I assume, and again, this is my assumption, but just want to make sure that I'm clear with that. Um, that I assume that you know him wearing the sunglasses that you saw on the sidelines was to do to you know light sensitivity, and you know obviously we all have you know been in sporting event venues, and the lighting certainly is a lot lot different than just kind of normal office lighting. So. Um, yeah, I, I was a little surprised that he did even travel to the game considering, because I'm trying to think when that announcement occurred. I mean, it was like, it was probably, what, 5 o'clock on Saturday? And I think at that point they had just 
landed. I mean, they'd probably been on the ground in Atlanta within, uh, I don't know, within an hour or so, maybe a little bit longer than that. So um, that would have been kind of a really quick thing of whatever you land. And Did he fly home then? Then. I mean, he would have flown back on the team because, because my thought is if he if he went down there and then all of a sudden, you know, enough that he has to wear sunglasses indoors, would it behoove them then to have had a bus or, you know, a limo or something? I know it's an eight-hour drive, but drive him home, or did he fly back? Again, I'm under the assumption that he did fly back, yeah. Because that part, you know, what I mean, obviously they know. I mean, bottom line is they know. But So let's get back to it now in terms of the Raiders and then uh, the Houston Texans to close things out, Kevin. Do you feel like this is a team? You know, what are the areas that if you are Shane Steichen and you come in today and you're like, okay, guys, we know what happened in Atlanta. Let's burn the tape. Let's move on. At this point, we know who we are. What is the biggest area of concern? And in particular, maybe now you have to factor in what Las Vegas does well. But what's the biggest thing right now that the Colts need to, on this week, turn around and get to the get down to it on? Yeah, I mean, you can't add Jekyll and Hyde out of your O-line. You you obviously had them play great against Pittsburgh, the final three quarters especially. But Cincinnati and Atlanta sandwiched around that. I wouldn't consider either of those teams, you know, super formidable defensive fronts. And you struggled there. Um, You know, if you look at the Raiders specifically, they do have just some individual studs, really. And Max Crosby is one of them. And he primarily lines up opposite your right tackle. And you know, it kind of gets back into the T.J. Watt thing, and it only lasted for a quarter, but obviously Watt really made his presence felt. And I thought Sunday was probably Blake Freeland's worst game of the season. A lot of rookie moments from him uh, out at right tackle. So I think that would be something that you're watching for. Again, how do you get the run game going? How do you, you know, establish a line of scrimmage? Obviously, Minshew was sacked six times in that game, so there's a lot of domino effect off of that. And, and then on the flip side, you just need your defense to tackle better. And in this day and age of how the NFL operates – you know, you don't really get many of those opportunities in practice super late in the year um, to really drill that home. And, you know, I think it's an anomaly. Um, but, again, it's not like you look at Atlanta and think, boy, those skill players are, you know, whatever, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle. So that would be a question um, that you have as well, I think, of is that tackling performance something that was the outlier, which I think evidence says it, it, it is the outlier, but – uh, that was just such an alarming day at every level of the defense. Gus Bradley, you know, was talking earlier today and mentioned that. You know, it's not just like you had one player or you know your DB struggled. Um, you know, D line linebackers, DBs, everybody, uh, and the Julia Blackman injury. Um, kind of on top of all that, you know, he exited early. He is, you know, one of your very key communicators in your um, in your defense, uh, no matter the level. So I, I think that's an injury to watch as well. Kev, is there any warmth to Bradley's seat? Uh, that's a good question. I think there should be, and this is probably my opinion on the situation more than like internal warmth of, of, of the seat or thought there. It's I like more of an attacking mindset from a defensive standpoint. You know, I, I like dictating a little bit more to where, you know, the Raiders sit down tonight and they're like, man. Aiden O'Connell's like, I don't know what the Colts are going to show me. They've shown all this stuff on film this year, and I don't even know where they're going to begin. Whereas I feel like the Colts fall more on the side of, yeah, we know what they're going to show us. There might be a couple wrinkles off that, but for the most part, on the scale of 32 defenses, they fall on the you know quieter side of whatever, blitzing, pressure, disguising of coverages, those sorts of things. 
again, I'm more of a, and it's been interesting because Frank Reich and, and Shane Sykem, they both have opted for a little bit more of conservative uh, defensive styles uh, with their coordinators. And I know that, you know, uh, Iberflus was, was a Ballard hire for the Josh McDaniel staff there. Uh, and Bradley was a holdover by Shane Sykem, but still that's been interesting to me. But uh, there's obviously a lot of things you can point to with Gus Bradley's defense that, you know, people um, certainly stand out about this season, whether it's the really high sack number, one of the highest in franchise, or actually, actually the highest in franchise history. Um, but again, I like a little bit more of a, um, is this a blueprint that can win in January? And it, you haven't played a single quality quarterback in a couple of months. So I don't know how you can, you know, truly say, you know, big sack numbers against some of these, you know, bottom feeder quarterbacks is an indicator of, you know, whatever. That all of a sudden would translate to real January football. Uh, I would look into it, but I'll believe it when I see it. And, again, part of this is, I guess, a little bit of an unknown. And we just don't know how Shane Sykin operates with some of this stuff. The previous era, I would say no. Um, you know, Chris Ballard obviously likes Gus Bradley. Um, and, again, there, there are reasons to keep him or, you know, strong suits on the resume ever – you want to describe it, but it is something that I would uh, I would look into. Kevin Bowen will be with Andy Sweeney coming up in the morning, of course, talking all week about the Colts getting set for the Raiders. That's a 1 o'clock kick New Year's Eve over at Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, Kevin, Merry Christmas. Appreciate the time, as always, and we'll be listening in the morning. Appreciate that. Merry Christmas, guys. All right, Thanks, Kevin, Kevin Bowen joining us on the program. Brennan, here's the slate for this weekend in the NFL. So before we get to Don Fisher, let me ask you this. Uh, you are the warden of a prison, Okay. You're Shawshank warden, style? You're, you're the Shawshank warden. And so they come to you and they go, Brendan, we're going to let the guys this weekend watch one NFL game, but these are hardened criminals and they are not to be overly rewarded, so you get to pick. <laughs> we're going to play double-edged sword. We're going to give them a game to watch, but you as the warden have to pick the game that actually would be the biggest penalty. Okay? <laughs> Here's the slate of games this week in week 17. Uh, listen carefully and then give me your answer. Yeah. Eddie will let you pick as well. Here we go. Jets at Browns, Lions at Cowboys, Dolphins at Ravens, Patriots at Bills, Falcons at Bears, Titans at Texans, Raiders at Colts, Panthers at Jags, Rams at Giants, Cardinals at Eagles, Saints at Bucks, Giants at Commanders, or excuse me, Niners at Commanders, Steelers at Seahawks, Chargers at Broncos, Bengals at Chiefs, Packers at Vikings. You got some good if options If you factor there. in non-playoff teams on both sides. Correct. Well... I, I think the one that jumps out right away is the Chargers and the Broncos, right? I mean, Broncos still got something yeah, to play for, I, I, right? They do, but I mean, also fair, fair. When, fair. when you take into account, though, this is what the NFL wants, though, in the fact that basically yes. every one of these games has somebody that's playing for something, right? The Eagles can't stop a nosebleed right now, and I don't know if I'd give You're them right. the Cardinals and the Eagles because Kyler Murray. Uh, again, and, they, and they're he, seeing the Eagles, which is a good team. Yeah, right? I mean, maybe the Falcons and the Bears. That game is that's probably going to be that's, gross. And Falcons, it, Bears, and Pack Vikings are the two yeah. games that seemingly have nothing to play for. Yeah, right? I mean, you're going to get probably some disgusting weather downtown Chicago. <laughs> it's going to be gross. Uh-huh. People are in, in the stands, foggy. Yeah, yeah, yeah gross. So. Yeah. Uh, Don Fisher, by the way, joins us next. Halfway home. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Home here on a Tuesday that feels like a Monday, which means tomorrow you're going to be like, hey, we're halfway through the week, even though it feels like a Tuesday tomorrow. It won't be. 
My name is Jay Quarry, Brendan King in for Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison here as well, joining us on the program as he does typically, I would say, each and every Monday, but in this case, I'll simply say at the outset of each week. Don Fisher is the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Don, first, Merry Christmas. How was the holiday? Well, it was pretty awesome. Uh, we had my family here, my side of the family here on Christmas Eve, and on Christmas Day, we had Susie's side of the family here, so we had a full house, about 40-plus people in total. You know, Don, I, I have always said, um, you know, one of the real blessings at Christmas is when you can look around and realize that everybody's there that was there the year earlier. You know what I mean? That's right. Honestly. Yeah, I do know what you mean. You look around and you go, hey, you know what? I, that's that's the most important aspect of all of it. So um glad you had a good holiday. You're getting, you know, Indiana now getting set for – and, you know, I was talking to John Herrick, who, of course, works on the, the pregame broadcast with you for Indiana basketball, and we were talking about the fact – John pointed this out – he said, Jake, look, you can look at it on paper and by name and say, oh, you know, a nice warm-up layup line for Indiana heading into the Big Ten with Kennesaw State. But he's like, don't kid yourself. Kennesaw State can offer some challenge to Indiana. Would you agree with that? I do. Uh, they were a ball club last year that gave Indiana all kinds of problems uh, in a similar situation where they played them just before Big Ten play started. And Indiana had a problem with them, not just because they were overlooking them in any way, shape, or form. I don't think they did that. That team was really good. And they were under a a guy named Abdul Rahim, who uh, went on after last season to a different job and an upscale job in the Power Five conference. But all that being said, they were well coached, and they got a bunch of those guys back, uh, two starters, uh, two of their key guys off the bench last year, and some transfers. And they're nine and four right now. They did lose their last ball game against North Carolina Asheville, and the last time they went out on the floor. But but they're still a good basketball team, and they've got two of their key players from last year, Simeon Cottle and uh, Terrell Burden, a pair of guards who. Uh, right now are leading them in scoring and they've got two other players scoring in double figures so this is this is not going to be a pushover ball game and indiana will have to be ready to play and we've seen at times this year they haven't been as ready as we'd like you know when you look don like when teams have an exhibition okay and maybe in that exhibition like a like a you know, an organized scrimmage. The coaches might get together and say, hey, you know what, Can do me a favor and, and run this so that my guys, I want to see how we react to this situation or that. Obviously, you don't do that in the regular season. I get it. But for the sake of the conversation, if Mike Woodson was able to go to Kennesaw State and say, look, going into Big Ten play, the area that my team seems to have the biggest struggle outside of outside shooting that I really need to, to see where we are. Can you please work on the following to give me a glimpse of where I am? What area is that that you think Mike Woodson would say, this is the, the thing that I still want to get shored up the most heading into the conference? Well, in my opinion, uh, I would say probably defense. I just don't think their defense this year shot has been very good on a consistent basis. They've had really good games against uh, the, or when they've uh, guarded the three really well. But it hasn't been a consistency. And I think if you're going to be a good basketball team, the number one thing you've got to be good at is defense. If you can't if you can't stop people, you're not going to beat anybody. And obviously if you do it if you do it on a consistent basis, it gives you an opportunity to win every ball game if your offense is working. And I, I think the offense in this case has also been problematic to some degree, but not to the to the point where I think 
uh, defense has been the better of the two. And I, I really don't believe that. I think the offense has come around to a point now where they're starting to, to feel a lot more comfortable, a lot more confident with one another. And the other big factor, of course, still, and I know it's uh, people say it's an excuse, but it's truly not in this case. Xavier Johnson being out has really hurt this ball club, and he probably is one of the guys defensively that could really help you a lot. Hey, Don, Merry Christmas. Uh, last time you and I talked, asked you about Anthony Walker and what he could bring to the Hoosiers for the rest of December. Well, he's got 29 points in his last two games. Something still to build on for him. Can he do that at the Big Ten level, be it you know the last two games, him against mid-majors, but still he played really well? Well, and that's what we'll find out. I mean, once you get into Big Ten play, it becomes a grind. And uh, and he's been through the wars at, at the University of Miami. He's played played really well there a couple of years ago. He, he was a starter. Uh, last year, he, he went back to the bench, and he became more of a role-type player for them. Uh, I still think that you've got to have people coming off the bench, and I know that's how Mike looks at him as a guy that comes off the bench and gives him a spark. Uh, I just think he's playing the role that he's been given uh, to a really high degree, if you, if you know what I mean. Every time you get him out on the floor, he seems to do something positive. I think he gives this team a spark with his athleticism, with his ability to, to, to guard people, because he can guard all four. He can guard four positions on the floor, and he could actually probably guard a five if that five wasn't an overpowering type guy. So. I like what I see from him. I think he's given this team a real shot in the arm this year, especially coming off the bench. Don, you had mentioned Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers, is our guest. You mentioned Xavier Johnson. And, look, I, I realize with injuries, you know, sometimes nobody knows, right? I mean, in, in terms of how long it takes the body to heal from, like, a lower leg injury, I had initially heard that kind of a target area would be against Nebraska or the, the initial early phases of the Big Ten season. Um, that probably is in flow, but is that? Do you think Indiana has an idea now of starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the games missed for Xavier Johnson? Well, that's what we don't know. I mean, I haven't seen anything since the the, the, the uh, game with North Alabama. Of course, he wasn't ready to play in that when he was still in the boot. Uh, so, if you're asking me if he's going to play against uh, Kennesaw State or if he's going to play against Nebraska, I simply don't know at this point. My gut was that they were going to hold him out as long as they possibly could prior to Big Ten play. And I would think if he's ready to play right now, you'd want to get him into that Kennesaw State game just if, in fact, he is as rusty as we think he might be. And, of course, he needs some practice time, too. So I would say that this week we'll find out more about his status because, without question, they're going to need him, especially during Big Ten action. And I know they don't want to bring him back too soon this time because, uh, you know, he probably should not have played in that Harvard ball game because he still wasn't fully ready, but he wanted to play, and he told the coaches, I want to play in this game, that kind of thing. He did, and it cost him. So right now I think they're going to be more precautionary in terms of how he feels after practice a couple of times and then whether he plays in a ball game leading up to Big Ten action. When a guy misses time, Don, and we're talking about young players, and in his case, of course, a more veteran college player, um, but in your experience of being around teams calling games, when guys miss extensive time, is there any like kind of estimated number of games it takes them to truly kind of get back into rhythm and shape, or does it truly depend player to player? I think it's more player to player. Um, I, I, you know, a guy like X who's been around, this is his fifth year in college basketball. Uh, 
Uh, he's a veteran. He's been through the wars. He knows what it's all about. He went through the injury issue last year, so he knows what that's all about at this point. Uh, I would think it depends on the guy you're talking about. And when it becomes a foot or some kind of a leg injury, <clears throat> it's usually harder to recover from that and it takes a little bit longer simply because of where it, where the injury's at. If you get, a, if you get an arm injury or a shoulder injury or something like that, you can – you can respond from from that probably a lot quicker because you're not banging that thing all the time uh, or whatever injury it might be in that case. When it comes to a leg, that's part of the game. I mean, that's part of what you better be really good at with your leg. Everything's got to be uh, feeling strong and, and that type of thing. So I don't know if I'm explaining myself well. It feels like I'm fluttering around. No, I here, get what but, you're saying, for sure. But but I, I do think that when it's a leg injury, you have to be very care- careful uh Leg or foot, I think those are the areas that are probably the most crucial to get a guy physically as healthy as you can get him before you bring him back. Don, one of the things that fascinated me, Don Fisher is our guest, the voice of the Hoosiers. Um, you know, I had made reference on this program to the fact that you and I were at a Daymar lunch together. I think it was like early November, maybe early to mid-November. Mm-hmm. And and we were discussing Indiana was getting ready to play Illinois in football, and you gave kind of a breakdown of Illinois' running game. And then I'm watching the game, and I'm like, "Holy cow! Like this is exactly the the players that you had described." So obviously, you know, goes without saying, you do the homework of preparation and talking to the coaches before a, a game. Maybe that's just on a game to game basis. So it might be early for me to ask this question. Is why I'm long winded getting into that intro. When it comes to the Big Ten season. Is there a particular team that, based on the preseason, you look at and say, okay, going into the year, maybe we didn't think they were going to be as tough as they are, but I'm really intrigued to see what they're going to do in the conference this year. Is there one that jumps out, or is it too early to know that? I think it's kind of early to know that, but I'm going to tell you right off the top that I think Nebraska is a better team than they've been in some time. Uh, Based on what I've seen this year, I've watched Fred Hoiberg a long time in his coaching career. I think he's finally got a ball club at Nebraska that he thinks is pretty good. Uh, So I'm a little intrigued by the fact that Indiana plays him in the very first Big Ten game coming back to competition in the conference and we play them at Nebraska. So I I think that's that's a team I'm I'm thinking that's going to be better than people think. Um, Ohio State is our next ball game, and they, of course, struggled last year, but they look like they're much better this season. So right away, Indiana's going to get tested here to find out just where they stand, and then they play a Rutgers team that's had Indiana's number forever, as you guys all know. So. Boy, that one, yeah, for sure, right? I mean, it felt a couple of years, it felt like like Larry Moe and Curley could have played for Rutgers, and that's taken nothing away from the guys Rutgers had, right? But there was just right. something about going out there that was like, holy cow, Buzzsaw yeah. City. Whether it's going out there or them coming to our You're place, right. they've had Indiana's number for some time now. So uh, I know people would say, well, it looks like Indiana's probably got a good shot at least being 2-1 after the first three games of Big Ten play. <laughs> they've got a shot at losing all three, too, just because I think all, of the, all three of these ball clubs are a team that Indiana has had struggles with and they need to deal with on a positive basis, especially these first two, Nebraska and Ohio State. Rutgers is not having the year that they've normally had in the past, so they may not be quite as strong, but you're playing them at Rutgers, and that changes things pretty dramatically. The 29th, Hoosiers in Kennesaw State. Next on the slate for Mike Woodson's group, Don Fisher will be on the call. Of course, you can hear it, along with uh, John Herrick from WIBC on the pregame 
over on our sister station. Don, appreciate the time as always, and again, happy holidays to you. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for having me, of course, and uh, happy New Year to everybody too. That's right, happy New Year because that'll be uh, it'll be. I'm not going to do the lame talk to you next year joke, but I'll, we'll talk to you next year, Don. <laughs> see you guys. All right, see yeah. that's Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers. You know, he's right about Rutgers. Just always is so plucky. Nebraska kind of is too, though, to be honest with you. And I really liked, and, and he mentioned, by the way, Kennesaw State's coach from a year ago, now at South Florida, by the way. Uh, Amir Abdul-Rahim is now at South Florida as the head coach. Um, Tim Miles at Nebraska, I always thought was a pretty good coach. and But they just, and I remember the year that Nebraska got into the tournament. I think they came here in the tournament and got beat. But like I thought he did a really good job. And then it's just hard to sustain there. You Trivia, know? do you know where Tim Miles is now? It's a good question. Okay. Give me three guesses. Sure. We're going to do my famous Jake Quarry style where I ask yes, no questions, and then, okay. Fantastic. My hint, my hint yes, no questions. Sure. Um, is there a professional sports team in the state where he coaches collegiately? Yes. Okay. Um, There's. I'll give you a hint on top of that. No, 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 among, no, no, no. Amongst no. the major pro sports, by the way. I don't yes, mean. Yes. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. So no. Don't, no, give him hits. Don't give him hits yet. <laughs> Eddie, did you know this before Googling? Yeah. I knew where he went. Okay. I didn't um, have to Google. Smart guy over here. If you had to guess, is the team where he went playing, in, is their football program in a bowl game? Oof. Um, Probably not. Right? I think they are, and I think they've already they've played. They've already played, yes. They've already played. Yeah, they've already played. It was this weekend. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um... Is there a Hall of Fame basketball player who has played collegiately at this university? No. Are they in the MAC? No. No. Okay, go ahead and give it to me. San Jose State. Uh, you know what? He was wanting the hint. What? He said they. He said give it to me. San Jose. Yeah, no, give it to me. The answer. Right? Oh, San okay. Jose State it didn't. Um, I believe. A Hall of look, Famer? Look this at, no, not a Hall of Famer. You're right. Uh, well, Jeff Garcia played there football-wise, but I believe Darnell Hillman played at San Jose State, but look that up. He did. Me. Yeah. Darnell, is Darnell we, Hillman he the biggest that's come out of San week? Jose State? Yeah. Rick Berry. There's your Hall of Famer. Rick wow. Berry went to San Jose State? Mm-hmm. Really? Before Miami? Yes, he was there from he, 1989. Is that where he, he learned to shoot underhand free throws? Different Rick Berry. Let me check then. You're thinking of you're thinking of Ricky Barry. Ah, yep. Ricky Barry, who was on Ricky. the eighty eight Olympics. So yeah. back to no Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah. Rick yeah. Rick Barry out of Miami is the only player in college or in, in basketball history, Rick Barry, the Hall of Famer, the only player in basketball history to have led the NCAA, the ABA, and the NBA in scoring. There is a player in the association right now from San Jose State. I think I do know this. Hold on. Uh I should have known Ricky Berry, the 88 Olympian. That 88 mm-hmm. Olympic team had, like, Willie Anderson was on that team. Ricky Berry was on that team. Um, David Robinson, maybe. Uh, John Thompson had that team. And that, that was the begin. To be honest with you, that team in 88, that 88 Olympic team that Ricky Berry was on was the reasoning for the dream team. Now, because when they got beaten 88, people were like, enough is enough. We've got to have professionals. And that's why the dream team in 92 came about. I will say that this player started at – San Jose State, but he did not finish no, his collegiate career at San so Jose State. So there was a player, this is not who you're thinking of, uh, who was the guy from Michigan, Olivier St. Jean, that then transferred to San Jose State and then played in the league. Um, there was another There was another player, like a French player, 
But I don't know. Give me the player. It's only only Frenchman that give me the current player. State. Well, he's hurt right now. He plays for Memphis. Brandon Clark. Okay. Okay. I mean, any more, you know, if you can play, they can find you, right? So, like, they're – Oh, yeah. It's amazing the number of guys you look at in the league, and you're like, wait a minute, like, this guy averaged nine points a game in college, and then now, you know, Duncan Robinson, right? And then all yeah. of a sudden just blows up. Right situation, whatever it might be, right? A million different ways to do it. San Jose State, by the way, as I mentioned, when, when Oregon State and Washington State gets kind of got left out in the cold and – they were going to be absorbed into the Mountain West. I'm like, so you go from playing against Arizona, Arizona State, Oregon, and Washington to playing San Jose State as your rival now? Do you know their mascot? Uh, they are either the Spartans or the Trojans, aren't they? Spartans. Yeah, yeah. I knew they I, – I could see the little logo deal of the – Perfect. They're they're the next rival yeah. for USC when eventually USC gets booted too. That's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Robin the Genie going to make an appearance today. So too is Stephen Holder. Brennan, funny thing happened. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Happened yesterday after everything kind of wrapped up with the holidays. I got out of the car, was walking in. Now, this wasn't for me, but apparently somebody else. I, I, I took a step and I heard this clink, 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 clink. And I looked down, I thought it was a bottle of eggnog someone had dispatched. So I reached down to pick up the eggnog to throw it away because I'm recycle conscious. And suddenly a, a, a cloud of smoke came out from the bottle itself. And yes, in fact, <laughs> out popped Robin the genie. And I said, listen, I'd like to have you come in studio and come up with, if you will, an opportunity for Eddie and Brendan to make a little cashola, myself included. Wow. Yeah. All right. Robin said he was down for it. Now, apparently his line of credit, his credit rating, not great. I mean, he owes right. Jimmy a million dollars, doesn't he? Or is it two million? I can't remember. That's a 2024 problem. He told me that in 24, he would have a running total, at which point he would then, he's still waiting on his, his <laughs> Dogecoin to pay off. Got it. <laughs> Got it. So, Robin, you have joined. That is, that is right. Thank you for having me. Okay, Robin. You Robin. Robin, you there? Robin's here, yeah. Okay. He's right next to me. You see him? Right. Ah, there he is. I yes. see him now. He's quick moving, Eddie. Robin, if you could, the floor is yours. Thank you. And thank you, too, because the eggnog was getting sour and I smelled. Brendan King, my question for you and Eddie. I would like for you to write down on a sheet of paper, at which point we will then evaluate in a couple of months whether or not you win a million dollars. Tell me who will be the participants in this year's Super Bowl in February. Because many, many, many thought they might have seen a preview last evening, and I'm wondering if you're falling into the trap of recency. I probably am, to be honest with you. Robin, right, is it? It is correct, okay, yes. Good, Robin, how was sure. your th- Christmas? Good? It was good, thank you very much. Did you I get am. let out of the bottle on Christmas, or were you stuck in there? I was in the bottle, actually, <laughs> drowning in the eggnog, which was getting very sour. Mm. But I spent my Christmas Eve helping my friend Santa. Those of us in the magical world help each other out. Uh. Because we're philanthropic. Okay. Uh, thank you, Robin. Go back to where you came from. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going back Goodbye. to the bottle. So, Brennan, you're, you're writing down for Robin. Yes. What? Two teams that we will open up in February to see whether or not you win the $1 million. 
So one of them is very random. Okay, and that is on that, that random of which you mention is coming from which side of the ledger? That would be the NFC. Okay. Um, I'm going see. Robin actually is so smart as a genie. Robin might be able to tell you to tell you what random team you're thinking of. Because Robin is also a mind reader. I don't know if you know that or not. Well, I mean, but write Jeannie's yours down, superpowers. Eddie. You write yours down, and Robin just informed me that because he has nowhere to be now until the Super Bowl afterwards to open envelopes, that he's going to stick around. And after we talk to Stephen Holder, he's going to assess your answers. So we'll do it after Stephen Holder, the writer from ESPN, joins us next. Devilish performance. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's in Georgia for sure for the Indianapolis Colts. As I had mentioned earlier on the program on Christmas weekend, if you will, instead of Santa going down, it was the Easter Bunny that laid an egg for the Colts in Atlanta. Joining us now to talk about it from ESPN.com. Stephen Holder joins the program, and uh, Stephen, first things first, before we get to all of that, did you make it back in time to spend Christmas with the family? I did. Um, I landed in Indianapolis um, about a quarter after 11 on Sunday, so yeah, I think I'm, I don't know if I got into the house before Christmas, but I definitely made it back to the area code, so I was good. Do they, and I'm curious of this, because I don't know the flight patterns, I've never flown late at night on Christmas Eve. Do they have to in any way divert the flight due to potential? I mean, nobody wants to obviously interfere with Santa's path. Mm-hmm. Do they? Do they do anything? Do they make any announcement of that? Of anywhere where you guys had to diverge a little bit and and just kind of give right of way to the sleigh? You know, I I think we were fortunate that he hadn't quite got to our part of the world gotcha. yet. Okay, yeah, that's so probably we right. Good. Yeah, it, it ended up not being delayed because, I mean, you know, look, when it comes to air traffic control, he gets priority, right? So <laughs> you, think? you just got to wait. Yeah, yeah you know? that's exactly right. Yeah, he was probably <laughs> like in, you know, Iceland or Scotland or something like that and hadn't made his way over, right. so that's good. Um, now, now, had I taken, you know, had we been delayed or something and had, you know, much later takeoff, now then all bets are off. But I think that's understandable, right? If they say we've got to wait 30 minutes because we've got to let, you know, Santa clear the path, you, you got to roll with that, right? It is what it is, right? Yeah, I mean, you right. can't get in the way of that. That's right. I that's, would agree. That's bad karma if you do I that. I would agree. Okay. Um, <laughs> the Colts, okay, Stephen, I asked Kevin this. I'll ask you the same question. For the Colts this weekend, um, which is kind of the the bigger takeaway? The dang it, we had such a beautiful opportunity and we bypassed it, or wow, we really dodged a bullet because all we did was basically move from one week to the next with the standings essentially staying the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I for me, I think it's a wasted opportunity, and here's why: because both of those things are true, certainly. But look, I mean, they are not good enough to 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 kind of count their chickens before they hatch, you know? And and I'm talking about in weeks the final two weeks of the season. Like this Raiders game, I'm not saying the Raiders are are a great team. Uh, the Raiders have issues, but I mean, who's taking the Raiders lightly right now? You you can't. You absolutely can't. I mean, what they've done the last two weeks, it has to matter. It has to mean something. And you know, we can talk about Kansas City having its issues, and they do, but, I mean, so do the Colts, right? So 
I just think they, they've taken away their margin for error. There actually is a scenario now, this, because they lost this game, there's a scenario now where the Colts can win out these last two games and still not make it. It's not likely necessarily, but it could happen. And it's not even a far-fetched scenario, but even though it's not a likely scenario. So my point is you have taken, you have taken away the ability to control your destiny, and, and that is not where you really want to be. I'll tell you, Stephen, the other thing that comes into play, and whoever would have guessed this, was yesterday Las Vegas doing what they did with Kansas City not only kind of sends a signal that they're not necessarily dead or that they can't, you know, Kansas City has their own issues. But it kind of reawakened the Raiders, too, where all of a sudden now the Raiders have invested interest in being interested as opposed to just playing out their schedule. I mean, they – how dangerous do they now become? No, I think that's true. I mean, look, we saw last year a team that had an interim coach. And, yes, the Colts did get um, certainly a, a bump in Jeff Saturday's first game, that win in Las Vegas, you know, speaking of the Raiders. However, after that, it really unraveled. And, and we know what happened after that. And so by the time we got to late in the season, you know, it felt like a foregone conclusion you know, that uh, that this team was just not really competing for the most part toward the end of the year. The Raiders could have been in the same boat had their results gone in a similar fashion, but they haven't. And so now you've got a couple of things. Guys are playing for their coach because I, I presume they, they like Antonio Pierce and, and want to see him be considered for the job. And, and frankly, if the Raiders might have hired their last interim coach, they might not even be here. But that's a whole other argument. Anyway, so that's a factor. And then also, look, I mean, guys are stepping up and, and getting opportunities and making good on those opportunities. You want to continue to capitalize on that. Uh, look, I mean, their offense, I don't know that it's, it's a great offense necessarily, but, you know, but every, every play you make it gives you an opportunity to, to be considered – you know, for the future. So, yes, I think there are they are not checked out like you would have thought they were at this point. Steven, I know a lot of that game, the Colts were battling back and behind, but without a catch, Jonathan Taylor at 18 touches. Even with this thumb surgery, is that enough for that type of game? I, I don't quite necessarily take issue with the with the touches, the number of touches, I, I just think that for me, uh, compared to the week before and the success they had in running the ball and, and creating running lanes, I just thought they went the complete opposite direction. That's my bigger concern. Uh, and I, I don't think coming off the, the surgery that, that being a little careful with the touches is the worst thing. And, and I don't even know if that was even a low number. I think he's at, he's probably been in the twenty you know twenty carry range, so that's probably fine. But you know when he has played, Jonathan Taylor. But again, my bigger issue is why did the offensive line get manhandled? I mean, what, what happened? I mean, they were the ones manhandling Pittsburgh the week before, and so a week later, granted, I think. Uh, Jim Bob Cooter, the offensive, the offensive coordinator, excuse me, said just a little bit ago in his weekly session, he, he said that, you know, that Atlanta 
defensive line doesn't get enough credit and people kind of overlook them. I, I agree with that. And that's fine. And, and they were at full strength on Sunday, which they have not been. That being said, I mean, this is supposed to be a strength of the Colts, you know, this offensive line. And, and I don't put it on, on Taylor. I really don't. I thought that he got what he could get most of the time. And there were a few runs early in the game, particularly that first series where I was like, okay, that should have been a two-yard run, and he turned it into six. You know, so I, I don't think there was a lot for him to get in that game. The, the, rent, the lanes just weren't there. Steven, this is, I hope, not such like an, an old narrative that it feels like I'm pulling off a scab, okay? But as I'm watching the game in Atlanta – I'm thinking to myself, okay, they already had Grover Stewart that we've talked about that went through a suspension that maybe that even made him some money because it kind of illuminated where he could be missed. And he's in a contract year. Michael Pittman not being there, I think we now know how valuable and how good Michael Pittman is. And anybody that says like, well, he's just a a number two guy, which I probably have fallen into that trap. I think we now know what a weapon he is for the Colts. And then I thought about Jonathan Taylor, who's the third guy that went into the year on a contract year, and they gave him essentially, and they caved to him. I mean, they, you know, Colts can say what they want about. Uh, the bottom line is he held out and it paid off for him because he got basically what he was mm-hmm. looking for. Um, and yet, when he has not been available, his his replacements have played to a very high percentage of what it is that he brings to the table. And I know he's a special player. Did they overpay Taylor? And even though they have cap space, are they going to have – are, is either Stewart or Pittman playing themselves out of the Colts' price range? Fair question. I think that I think that at the end of the day, the the price of of those two players, Pittman and Grover Stewart, um, d- determining their price won't have anything to do with Jonathan Taylor. You know what I mean? In other words, Jonathan Taylor's value is is determined completely separate from those guys. Now we can still quibble with whether they pay too much or whether they should have paid them. That's, that's fine. We can still have that argument, but I, I do think that those guys, those, their prices will be set for reasons or for, for with factors based on factors that have nothing to do with Jonathan Taylor. Um, do I think they're pricing themselves out of the Colts range? Uh, no, I mean, they may have, they may have an idea in mind of what they want to pay and, and they may be pricing themselves out of that range, but I have no way of knowing that, but I'm just saying theoretically the, the Colts. And I, I do know this is how Chris Ballard operates. He'll put a price on a player, what he thinks the value is. And if it gets beyond that, then he starts to maybe think about, all right, what are our, what are our options? And so I don't think they'll let Pittman walk. I would be very, very, very surprised. But, you know, look, I mean, there's a, there's a limit to how far they're willing to go with everybody. So I guess we'll see. I guess we but will see. Couldn't Kansas City be making Michael Pittman a lot of money right now? And by that I mean people can talk all they want. I, I personally think it's a, a cheap, lazy, and easy narrative. That Travis Travis Kelsey's been ruined by Taylor Swift. No, actually, <laughs> Travis Kelsey now plays on a roster that defenses can keep him far more in check because yeah. the receiving talent Patrick Mahomes was throwing to has all gone elsewhere. And and now we see how valuable receivers are. Surely Chris Ballard and the Colts look at Pittman and go, he's the one piece we gotta have. 
Yeah, I, I think that that was a great example of it on Sunday, too, because as you've already laid out, I mean, that, that offense looked like it was playing with one hand tied behind its back. Now, granted, there wasn't anybody making any plays elsewhere. I mean, someone could have stepped up, cer- certainly. But there's no doubt. I mean, we can argue about whether Michael Pittman is a true number one receiver. My argument has always been, okay, well, for them, he's their number one receiver because he's the best they got. So whether he would be a number one on somebody else's team, it doesn't freaking matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like his value – let's put it this way. A player's value to a particular team can be different than his value to another potential team because the circumstances are different, right? And so if he were on a team, if he were on the Miami Dolphins, okay, no, he wouldn't be a number one receiver because they have very good receivers. On this team, and given what they have, he's clearly the number one receiver and very, very valuable because when he doesn't play, uh, they lose their go-to guy. That's the other thing. When it's third down, who are they throwing the ball to? Everybody knows where it's going, right? Everyone knows where it's going, including the defense. And what happens? He gets a first down most more times than not. So, yeah, I, I, I think we have these, these sort of theoretical arguments, but at the end of the day, you can look at your roster, you, can, you know what your needs are, you know who your playmakers are. It's not that hard. Stephen, Jake and I were talking about this earlier, and I don't know if it gives you any sort of deja vu, but just with, and I realize 2021 was a different time because that Colts team in the last two, they just needed to win one game, right? They needed to beat either the Raiders or the horrible Jaguars down in Florida, and they were in the playoffs and they choked it away. But with a you know, confident-feeling Raiders team coming in, d- does this have any sort of deja vu to you from two years ago? Yes. Now, I mean, listen, let's be clear. The stakes are not the same. Exactly. Okay? That, right, right. That, that is true. And then when I say the stakes, I mean, the playoffs are certainly at stake. But I mean, where the team is, is not the same, okay, in terms of their their cycle. So this is, this is all gravy. You know, they, they lost their quarterback. They weren't supposed to be good this year. Okay, great. But I also would argue, but you're here now. <laughs> okay, you're here. So it kind of is what it is. Uh, I would say that um, there is a little bit of, uh, I think, reminiscence of, of 2021 just because it reinforces, and this came up in the locker room after the game, to, to be fair. Um, it reinforces the fact that <laughs> these things are very fleeting. These opportunities are very fleeting. You know, And the difference between getting into the postseason and having an opportunity to do something, anything, because anything can happen, the difference between that and going home and kicking yourself for six months is very thin. It's very thin. I mean, go back to 2018. That team starts one and five. You know, that was clearly Frank Reich's best, best job. One and five to start. They win nine out of ten to finish. They get in the playoffs as a wild card. What happens? They go down to Houston. They win handily go to the second round. Granted, they lost pretty decisively in Kansas City that year. But my point is, there's no reason something like that couldn't happen to this team, given the AFC that we're looking at right now. I mean, who are you? Who would you say they absolutely positively have no chance of beating if they got into the playoffs, right? I mean, I, I certainly think they would be the underdog, probably of 
a major underdog. But if you get there, I mean, they've already proven they've gone to Baltimore and won. I mean, they, they look, they've been competitive in just about every game. Anything can happen. So that's why I say, like, you know, these – I think Gardner Minshew, who never really says a whole lot, but Gardner Minshew said it best, man. Like, you know, like – and I'm not even saying he played well. So he's probably talking about himself here too. But he did a great job, I thought, of putting it in context after the game. He's like, man, you know, you can't take nothing for granted. You know, like you have to go get it. And these opportunities, you never know when they're going to come again. So, and, and that actually is, should be the takeaway from 2021. Because there was no next time. Because the next year was even worse. So maybe, you know, maybe this is the next time. We'll see. Stephen, in terms of the injury to Michael Pittman, is there any chance he misses more than is it? Was that it, or are, are we going to see him against the Raiders, or is that still to be determined? Uh, I mean, with concussions, I think you always have to just say TBD. You, you just have to, and and this is the most glaring example of why. You know, we we think we have learned a lot about concussions, and we have. We certainly have. But we also have a lot we don't quite understand. You know, we, we don't necessarily quite understand why someone would would not show any indications for several days and then a few days later have a recurrence, like Michael Pittman. Why does that happen? I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of these things can't be explained, or at least they don't they aren't fully understood. So to to your question, yeah, he's got to go back into the concussion protocol if my understanding is correct. So that means tomorrow we're, we're, he's starting over and he's got to practice again and on a limited basis, no contact, and, and sort of hit all those steps one more time. So we we will still be two days from now, more than likely, a couple of days from now, still be talking about, well, is Michael Pittman going to clear the protocol because he had to start this thing over? Um, oh, also on injury note, a um, little bit of news here. Now hang on. Uh, we're going to play the breaking news sounder for you, Stephen. Eddie? Fire away, Stephen Holder. So the Indianapolis Colts have placed safety Julian Blackman on injured reserve. So that is a bummer. He went down on Sunday. Uh, what was that? A shoulder, I believe. Correct. Initially so, labeled as a shoulder injury. Yeah, I don't know what the ultimate diagnosis was. Talked to him in the locker room. He seemed somewhat optimistic, but I've heard that before from players. I get it. Uh, look, he he wasn't able to move that 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 shot. I think it's the right, if I'm not mistaken. He wasn't able to move it very well at all. I mean, it looked a little bit like I don't want to be alarmist, but it looked a little bit like Anthony Richardson when he was coming off the field there. You know, that sort of like immobile right arm shoulder area. So, I don't know. That's certainly not promising. What does that mean for the roster and depth chart? Because they made like a lower level move. Um, yeah. But that now puts the onus on who and does it make the – look, good player, Julian Blackman, no question, Stephen. But is, is that an area now where somebody else gets put out of position and they become susceptible? Well, the timing isn't terrible because they've been – They've been kind of uh, platooning Nick Cross in there a little bit more. And, you know, it's been – this is his second year. We're late into his second year, and he still has only played sporadically. Well, he's going to have to play now. He's going to finish it out. Uh, so I, I think they've done a good job of 
of using him in strategic situations where he can get some some experience, and and it's it's been good for him. He's actually started to make some plays, but um, he's going to be tested now. And and I think it also though what it really hurts I think is that you don't have that major experience on the back end now at safety. You had a really experienced, uh, a very I thought Julian Blackman was having a great season by the way. Uh, so you have a really experienced guy back there who's a playmaker. Uh, a versatile playmaker, too, who can play down in the box, play deep, cover a lot of ground. Julian Blackman is a very good player. So they lose his versatility and they lose his experience. Now you've got two second-year players at their the respective safety spots in Nick Cross and Rodney Thomas. So you know that is not an ideal situation. S- Stephen Holder is our guest from ESPN. Stephen Curious your thoughts on this. I'm watching Baltimore and San Francisco last night. And, and, and quite honestly, I thought to myself, this seems so easily to be a safe Super Bowl projection. Sure. But at the same time, there are always teams that kind of, you know, a lot of times the playoffs are just about a team that gets hot at the right, you know, at the right time. Yeah. Um, are either of those two teams fool's gold would be my first question. And my second would be, who are we sleeping on, if anybody? Hmm, good question. I I don't think either team's fool's gold. I mean, I still think San Francisco, top to bottom, best roster in the NFL. I don't think there's any doubt. Like, if you were going to build a team, you would build it like the 49ers. And you can argue, oh, I, I like their quarterback or I don't like their quarterback. I mean, whatever. We're not, I'm not, you know, this isn't a, a Brock Purdy debate. I'm just saying top to bottom depth, all the positions that matter. Like, they have probably the, they, they probably hit the most or check the most boxes. Um, so I'm, I don't think there's an issue there. Uh, Baltimore, uh, look, I mean, Baltimore, the one thing about them is they're, they're always unfazed, which is maybe a John Harbaugh thing. Like, he, you know, his teams always respond to challenges. Um, you know, look, they haven't had a deep playoff run. So that's, that's where, if you want to talk about fool's gold, I mean, that's where they have to prove themselves. I mean, where, where's their deep playoff run with Lamar Jackson. It's not that I don't think he can do it because frankly, he's probably needed some more help over the years, but, but he hasn't done it, you know, and, and Mahomes has done it. Uh, you know, even, even Josh Allen, you know, has, has had a deep run. So he's got to prove that, you know, the other big time AFC quarterbacks have made their deep run, you know, uh, Lamar Jackson is the guy who still has to prove it. And then I think you asked me, are we sleeping on anyone I, I don't know if sleeping on anyone is the right word. Um, I would say I would say that the, the Buffalo Bills, this is not news to anyone that I'm going to say this, but I don't want to play that team. I mean, especially if they're a wild card. They're a wild card team. And, and I guess they still have a shot. I think do they still have a shot at the division. I, I don't know. I have to look at that. But if they were a wild card team, Buffalo, and they go on the road and face somebody, I mean, they're not going to be intimidated whatsoever. In fact, it could be, I don't know, who would be the, the last division winner? Um, I don't even know who that would be. Well, probably Jackson, you mean the four seed? Yeah. So yeah, ja- like Jacksonville or Indy right. or, you know, whoever wins the, right. the South. That AFC South winner. You know, what if that's the matchup? Well, who are you taking in that matchup? You're taking Buffalo, right? And then now – 
it would be a, it'd be a tougher road. They'd have to go on the road and, and make their run that way. But I mean, they're, they're hot and, and they're a tough team. Uh, they're a tough team to match up with. So anyway, they, they would be one, um, you know, there's a, there's a handful of teams I think that, that could win um, in the playoffs that maybe aren't top of mind, but you know, I, I think Miami is such a, such a wild card to me, you know, just because, <laughs> they have some really impressive wins. I thought beating the Cowboys was really impressive, but I also have reason to wonder sometimes what kind of team they are. I don't know. Let's see. I mean, they'll, okay. they'll get home field potentially. That Two would be things great. here, Stephen. First off, Buffalo can still win the division because they have previously beaten Miami and they end the year against Miami. So they have I that chance, they right? Week 18. Now, right. Okay. the other thing is this, and I, I don't know uh, blank from Shinola, okay? But I know this much. <laughs> And and you can lock, you you can take this to the bank. You can put it right up there with like "Give me liberty or give me death" is one of the great quotes of all time in American history. You ready? Uh, yeah. If the Dolphins try to play in the playoffs with the more modern version of their helmet and and scheme as opposed to the throwbacks that they played with in Dallas, they're screwed. Man, listen, you were talking to the right guy. Like, I I mean, I'm not a big uniform guy. Like, I generally don't care. I'm not one of those people who's ever going to have like a, a hot take about uniforms because I just don't care. I think we care too much. However, that being said, those are the absolute positively best throwbacks totally. in NFL history, or at least currently I mean, the best throwback. The, 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 you got to wear them. Totally. I mean, your greatest ever player wore them. Your greatest yes. ever team wore them. The only undefe- or the last undefeated team wore them. And and here's let's let's go through it. Sure, okay, you've got the more sleek, fast-looking dolphin on the side of the helmet. Great, but but you've got a dolphin that not only has the the wherewithal and the athleticism to jump through a hoop, but also is smart enough to protect himself by wearing a helmet. You can't go I mean, wrong with it. Come on, man! What are we doing? <laughs> right. I mean, and also. Look, I mean, it, it just feels natural, too. Like, the, the, new, the new dolphin look, to me, always felt forced. I don't know. It just did. I would say the other, the other one that I, that I actually um, care about to some degree is, is the Seattle throwbacks. Like, oh. they should never, ever wear anything else. Listen, Love that. You, you, I don't know if you ever listened to this program, Stephen, but, but like, I it, – it, I'm telling you, like the the Seattle Seahawks throwback uniforms are to me what the Farrah Fawcett poster was to most kids in the late seventies. Okay, I get it. Like get I'm it. not lying to you. Now, what's the dolphin? Do you know the name of the dolphin? The little dolphin on the helmet jumping through the hoop. Does he have a name? That's a great question. Not to my knowledge. If I if that if he does and I don't know that, I'd be very disappointed that I'm just learning it. I'm going to go so with Mickey. Google. I'm going to go with Mickey the Miami Dolphin. You can't go with Flipper, right? Flipper's taken. Right. Flipper's legendary, right. Um, was Flipper uh, a hey dolphin man, or was he a porpoise? Do we know what – was Flipper – what was he? Was he a dolphin or a porpoise? Oh, now you're getting really tense. Or do you know uh, the difference am, between am, a dolphin and a porpoise? I'm right. <laughs> what? Steven, do you ever think to yourself, why do I agree to these radio hits? Well, occasionally I learn something, but oftentimes <laughs> I just today. leave. I, oftentimes I just leave, you know, sort of asking myself, "What is the meaning of life?" You know, and, and not knowing the answer. <laughs> Wait, Brennan, do we have answers? Well, t- I have the current name of the dolphin, but it says there has never been a different name. So I guess this is the okay. case. His name is abbreviated TD for the dolphin. Oh, that's the his, mascot. His, yeah, his yeah, name yeah. is the dolphin TD. 
See, they gotta do better than that. That's like the Orioles, the Oriole bird. I mean, come on. Who who they have a name that's like it's like a fifth grade contest? <laughs> Wait, actually There are people with marketing degrees I, that come I, up with this crap, there's Stephen. A, there's do you know a how Wikipedia that is to me? see also section. Come on. Oh wait, no, I got it. You were right. No. Flipper was the mascot for the Miami Dolphins from 1966 to 1968. Okay. For what? For three years? Oh, for three years. Okay. Just he as was, long as the Charlotte 49ers. The, then he became the team meal of the 73 Dolphins. <laughs> great. All right. All right. Everybody's eating Mahi oh, Mahi in Miami. Steven, we'll let you go. I apologize oh, for man. keeping you that long. We'll let you get busy because you got big news with Julian Blackman on IR. You can read Steven, of course, at ESPN.com. Appreciate it, Steven. All right, guys. Take care. All right, thanks. <laughs> Actually, this is unbelievable. Following the 1968 season, this is why people listen, right, Jake? Uh, that's Flipper, exactly right. Flipper, educate and entertain. Flipper, that's right. We're not doing either right now, but go follow, ahead. Follow, follow, following 1968, Flipper was no longer used as a team mascot. That's because owner Joe Robbie decided to cut ties with the mascot yeah. because both the city of Miami and the Seaquarium decided they would not continue to pay for the tank repairs and transportation costs. So it was a real dolphin. Mascot. It was a real dolphin. Wow, how about that? Yeah. Now, my other, here's the thing. When did the show Flipper come out? The oh, TV I show. Because oh, I wonder if there was some copyright I, issues there. This article, man. 19, <laughs> 1964 was when Flipper debuted. Okay, so is, I wonder if there was some copyright NBC, issues. NBC, uh, perhaps. Because I, my understanding is that Flipper that was on TV, my understanding, total prima donna, right? Oh, there were four There were four different dolphins that played Flipper. <laughs> Do you want to you want to guess the names of the Oh, they have, they have, we have names of the actors <laughs> yeah, that played Flipper? Yeah. Susie, Kathy, Patty, and Squirt. <laughs> Squirt. Okay. Yeah. Squirt was the yeah, dad. I don't know if you know that or not. Okay. All right. We're going to come back, and we're going to check in with Robin and find out whether or not Eddie or Brendan, either one, are going to be millionaires. You're just joining us, by the way, Julian Blackman, IR for the Colts. That coming out within the last 30 minutes. So the question is, I guess. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. When the Dolphins made Hootie cry, was it Squishy, Flipper, Susie? Which was it? Su- I can't, can't get forget over about Su- Squirt either. Susie, Kathy, Squirt? Patty, and Squirt. <laughs> Squirt's like the run of the group. That's right. Yeah. Um, thanks to Stephen Holder for his time. Julian Blackman, IR. Colts sign a safety off the Steelers practice squad, but this basically means Nick Cross is going to be really important. I mean, we knew that, right? Um, Rodney Thomas as well. Two guys that they're going to have to rely upon. And hope there's no further injury. Julian Blackman's a good player. Uh, obviously, health has been an issue for him uh, for a lot of his career. But when he's been healthy, he's been a really good player. No, I mean, just when he put together a healthy camp, right? I mean, I think that's one of the things he talked about earlier this year. So, um, yeah, unfortunate. You know, I had mentioned that, that I got Robin the genie out of the bottle. Yeah, he's been hanging out. But he has been hanging out. He's a quiet guest, by the way. He just kind of hangs out in the studio. But but he is back to check in on you guys. He's right. Thank you. I enjoy your accommodations. I, I preferred the sixth floor better. Well, we do it, Robin. We go where they tell us. How are the stairs, by the way, Robin? I am a genie. I did not use That's stairs. true. I That's fly. true. He teleports from floor to floor. Yeah. Oh, no, I meant the circle stairs. I don't know if they're done yet. Oh, monument circle. Yeah. Listen, I am a genie. I cannot perform all miracles. <laughs> 
What is going on with your stairs? It is ridiculous. The monument has been worked on since before I was a genie. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, Robin was asking earlier if you guys can write down the two Super Bowl teams, but Robin is a genie. So, Robin, I'm going to ask you who you predict oh. each person predicted. Okay? Thank you. That is right. Brendan tipped his hand a bit. I believe that Brendan is going to predict the Baltimore Ravens and the Detroit Lions. Oh, it is not the Lions. You okay. have one of them correct, though. You have the Baltimore Ravens coming out of the AFC, <laughs> right? I, I do. What? It's not the Lions, but you have one correct. wonder which one that is. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I'm being a nice, you know. Does Robin get one more guess? Of course. Allow me to get my horse I rode in on as a cowboy. You have the Dallas Cowboys and the Baltimore Ravens. No. Okay, who do you have? The L.A. Rams. Oh, get out of town. Eddie. Someone drank too much of the eggnog in the bottle yeah. in which I was hiding. Yes. Okay. You can hate. You can hate. Eddie Garrison. Yep. Robin, who do you think Eddie predicts? Uh, well, here's the thing. Eddie is... As extra insulation, as we know. <laughs> with it comes for Eddie's extra insulation, at times expectation that he will go with the easy. He is going to say the San Francisco 49ers, but he also has hangover from your chat about Flipper. And will say <laughs> the Miami Dolphins for his other team. One of those two is correct. You have the San Francisco 49ers? I do. You have them going up against... Jake, you are foolish. You should have said, actually. I guess it was technically me, although I was going on your advice when you said, Miami, I should have gone with my initial instinct, which was that he would say, the Buffalo Bills to be unique. No. Okay, who do you have? Wow. Cleveland. That's more egregious than what I said. No. Joe Flacco's not taking the Browns to the Super Bowl. Because as the Robin the Genie, I can see Jake's prediction. Jake actually predicts the defense of the Cleveland Browns to take them there. Mm-hmm. The defense. Yeah, the defense. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, playoff I, time, defense has got to play big, yeah, right? He's no. got experience. That team is rolling yeah, offensively yeah. right now. All right, all right. Then don't hate on me, okay? Now, the other thing is a lot of times, though, the teams that go into the playoffs on a roll, Yeah. you know, boom, they, they hit a wall. You know what I mean? Oh, I just lost. In the, I had won five in a row to it go to the fantasy oftentimes playoffs. Oftentimes, those teams are like the Monument Circle. You look out and go, what the hell is happening here? <laughs> Uh, I will go with Cleveland, and then, look, I think San Francisco's loaded. Yeah. And I don't rule out Philadelphia at all just because of their, you know, the, you get into weird weather games, and they, they can run the ball with Jalen Hurts. But the team that – the NFL is so cyclical that you can – a lot of times I think you get caught and sucked into, like, what's happening right then, and you don't look at the season in totality – and the postseason, yeah, you you know, there have been teams. I mean, the Baltimore teams with Flacco is a prime example. Like, if you get hot at the right time, Absolutely. you're rolling, right? But I'll tell you a team that, that there are two teams that nobody talks about that have been consistently good all year. One of them is Detroit. Mm-hmm. Like, the Lions, the Lions have been good all year, and nobody talks about it because there's nothing sexy about them. But I don't think. But for, for Detroit, I think the thrill is going to be if they win a playoff game. Like, yeah. you know, that's the, the hurdle that they got to climb. The one that I think if they can put it together 
and and more often than not this year they've put it together. And and as much as I hate to say it, because I don't like this team, I don't hate them. I don't like them though. Certainly, I have. Even though I think he's a nice guy, I have my one story of issue with the owner. And but I think they've got a lot of playmakers. You don't shake his hand anymore, do you? I do. It, it, at the very least, if this team wins the Super Bowl, I would strongly, with every ounce in my body, encourage Roger Goodell to not shake hands with the owner on the podium. I don't know what what's the game on this year. Is it on Fox or CBS? Who's who would be the sideline? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. Is it whoever on Peacock? It yeah, <laughs> could you? Whoever it is, do not shake hands with Jerry Jones. But I could wow. see the Dallas Cowboys going. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was watching them, and, and I'll give credit to you. Can kind of tell in the the game against Miami, you know, you, you kind of knew that 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 was how that game was going to end up. But but I think Dallas – I do like Dak Prescott. I think he's a good quarterback um, who's probably waiting for his moment, if you will. And, and they've got – you know, they got some guys that can make plays. They can get after the quarterback a little bit. And they've been good – they've been consistently good all year for the most part. I'll take Dallas. Just also somewhat to just kind of be different. Yeah, I I feel like we all have our can you imagine own sections. can you imagine like how awesome would it be and, and what kind of a, a a a like just totally bizarre start to the year would we have where literally pigs are flying and dogs and cats are hanging out together. What what's what sort of a symbol would it be in a topsy turvy world that all things are possible for 2024? That that all things are possible in the world if the Detroit Lions and the Cleveland Browns play each other in the Super Bowl. Oh my God! Could you imagine those tailgates? The Midwest would be going crazy. Oh what, what would the? Where is the Super Bowl this year? Vegas. Is it in Vegas? Yeah. How much would tickets and hotel rooms go for if the Super Bowl is the Detroit Lions and the Cleveland Browns? I don't know, but uh, the dog pound will be yeah. They're traveling. gonna. What's the uh, what what casino is the gondolas in? Is that the Bellagio? The gondolas. They've got pirate ships at Treasure or is that Island. That's Caesar's Palace. The gondolas. Is that the real Caesar's Palace? <laughs> did he Caesar live there? Didn't live here, did he? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's but either way. Point being, if Cleveland's it, it going, be, it would be the Venetian. The Venetian would oh, be where there's gondolas, right? Okay. It, well, yeah. point the uh, the river's setting on fire if Cleveland goes. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Yeah. Just so just so that everybody feels at yeah, home, right? Just so everybody's good. Uh, it is in fact the Venetian that has the gondolas. Yes, the Venetian's not inexpensive. How how much would it be, honestly? Oh my goodness. Well, here's the thing about a Super Bowl in Vegas. It's you add on to the already Vegas crowd that's going to be there. The Super Bowl. Your computer is quite angry. I don't know if it's mine or whose, but holy Moses. Yeah, you've never heard that before? I hear that every time we do the show. It sounds like a no. rocket's launch. I have soundproof headphones on, Jake, so I don't hear much. It's actually Flipper swimming on do his way think, in. Do you think people like are hearing that over the air? Maybe. That used to happen on the morning show all the time. 
I've always felt this about Las Vegas. I think that the expectation is there, and I certainly understand why the expectation is there, that Las Vegas will get an NBA franchise. Yeah, I mean, at this rate. It'll be LeBron James as the owner. Probably. But I also have wondered this. I don't think this would take place, but I could kind of see it as a possibility. You now have the NFL in Las Vegas. You have Major League Baseball on its way to Las Vegas. You have the NHL in Las Vegas. The NBA is the last, obviously, that would be going there. Las Vegas is America's playground. We know that. The NBA, like if you look at the popularity of the in-season tournament and the buzz that it created, even though I don't know that the the game itself, a lot of people said the atmosphere at the game itself was not like through the roof. But I wonder if the NBA wouldn't contemplate or explore the possibility of not putting a team permanently in Las Vegas, but making Las Vegas like the permanent rotation home for its other events. I could see honestly, and I again, this is a tough one because you want it to incentivize and share the wealth, if you will, for different markets. But I could see Las Vegas being literally like an in-rotation, maybe even like every other year host of the All-Star Game. Yeah. As well as the in-season tournament every year having it there and using Las Vegas for different areas to incentivize for teams to have like reward for things. But at the same time, like with the All-Star Game, you don't want for the All-Star Game, you don't want to take away from the opportunity for Indianapolis or Milwaukee or Portland, you know, to, to have their moment in the sun. Yeah, I mean, but it's I, definitely like the sports playground. No doubt. I I love the rotation idea just like it would never happen, but imagine if every 5 years, I I know the idea was tossed around at least on the airwaves. I don't know if it ever made it to actual somebody a decision maker's desk, but every five years, put the NCAA tournament exclusively in Indianapolis. Like, well, no, that's that's th- already a done deal. You think so? No, no, no. Indianapolis has already been Indianapolis in nineteen nine. Well, okay, so Indianapolis hosted in nineteen eighty. Then again in ninety one, they hosted the Final Four. Then they did it but in ninety seven and two thousand. Everything. But when the NCAA headquarters moved here, the agreement was that Indianapolis was guaranteed to have a Final Four every six years. Oh, and, I mean, I mean, like COVID tournament. Oh, the entire tournament. Yeah, 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 everybody yeah. comes. Yeah, I, yeah, that would be cool, right? Yeah, I mean, it was just so. You know the, do you know the most fun thing about that tournament? Oh, it was unbelievable. It was so cool. I mean, obviously it sucked because you know you couldn't have major fans there and whatever else. But I'll tell you, the NCAA tournament when it was in Indianapolis in totality, the whole tournament, that, and I see what you're saying now. When the whole tournament was here, there was an one of the more fun aspects to me about it. There was one thing that happened in that tournament, and it was a disappointment because you didn't have full fans, and it was a disappointment because, you know, it was coming off the year when you hadn't had the NCAA tournament, so there was this weird, you know, you're going through all of that, just the COVID uncertainty and everything else, but, and I've told this story before, I went down right before the Final Four and went to dinner at the JW, which is where all teams stayed initially before they were, as they, and then they kind of moved into different areas as the tournament moved on, but I asked the staff at the JW, I said, 
what team jumps out at you as the one that you're the most grateful to have had of all 68 that were here? And I talked to numerous people, and they were like, oh, the most polite young men and courteous and respectful and clean and orderly was absolutely blank. They didn't have a bad thing to say about any team, but there was one team that they were like, that team, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, thank you, cleaned up after themselves, pushed their chairs in, everything. They were like, it was, um, you would have thought they worked for the hospitality staff. And I'll tell you what team that was and the other cool thing about that tournament when we put a tie on it next. So for me, during that weird NCAA tournament that where the entire tournament took place in Indianapolis, there were two things that were the most fun. The venues were Gamebridge Fieldhouse, Lucas Oil Stadium, the Coliseum, and then was Hinkle Fieldhouse one of them? And then the first weekend, oh, Purdue and IU both Correct, hosted. that's right. So one of the more and, – and even still, and it took me probably, Brendan, because I'm not – I know this will stun you. I'm not necessarily what one would say you know, is a genius. It, it took me probably – the second week of the tournament before I realized that the color of the floor indicated which venue it was. But outside of that, I could the most fun thing for me was trying to figure out which venue they were in. Right. Because they all looked this it was amazing. Yeah. And I agree about Mackie and Assembly. It for me it was easy to pick Hinkle out because being in that building so much. But yeah, I mean the only really identifiable one was Lucas Oil. But because of the crowds, they kind of have it like they had it like kind of curtained off where you just yeah, couldn't they tell. You know what I mean? Yep. Now, Gamebridge, I think I told you, uh, I went, or I've mentioned before, I went to a game. Uh, my buddy Ryan Robertson called me and goes, Hey, I have tickets to a game between Villanova and North Texas. And that was at Gamebridge. And you had to sit on one side of the arena because they were cleaning the other side. And then vice versa after that game, you know, they, they did it back and forth. And. I thought this was so cool. I've told the story many times, but it's worth repeating again. I thought it was so cool. North Texas, who had defeated Purdue in the opening round, and in the second round they were playing Villanova, and North Texas really didn't have any fans there. I mean, there were only like probably 500 fans total. And I would say of those 500, 400 of them were probably local residents, and then maybe 100 of them were people that were actually from or supporters of Villanova. Villanova's up like 28 with two minutes to go in the game. And I see all these people moving. And I'm like, why are people moving from one? Now, you could always, everyone was sitting behind the benches because the other side of the arena was closed off. But there were a bunch of people sitting behind the Villanova bench and no one sitting behind the North Texas bench. And late in the game, all of these people got up and started moving. And I thought, what, what are they doing? And they all moved. They were Villanova fans that moved behind the North Texas bench so that when North Texas brought their starters off the floor, they could stand up and cheer for them. That's cool. Which I thought was cool. And then, therefore, it became no surprise to me that when we went, by the time it was the Final Four, and I asked at the JW, the staff there, about the teams that had stayed, almost every employee I asked was like the one team that had the most polite players, coaching staff, to a fault, like they were so kind, was Villanova. Jay Wright did it right, man. He did. And that's no no pun intended. No, you're right. He uh, that guy's a legend of the game, and as passionate as they come, I mean, he uh, he had some good battles against Butler. Uh, we shouted some things at him in the dog pound for sure, but uh, it was all respect. Great program for yeah. certain, right? Yeah, um, still is. And we'll see what what 
happens from there forward. So, Brennan, uh, the rest of the week for you looks as what? Uh, Jimmy's going to be back with you. So I knew I, that. So I uh, got some Indiana sports talk this weekend. I'll see you at Lucas Oil on New Year's Eve, and looking forward to that. Uh, John is out, by the way, for today. Brian No will be in next. He will help carry you home for the rest of the day on this Boxing Day. Call that, by the way, because you box everything up that you don't want and take it back to the store. That's why I'm not kidding you. That's why it's called that, right? So uh, if you are out and about, enjoy it, and we will talk to you again tomorrow at noon, getting you set for Colts and Raiders. We'll do it right here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.